Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Phenomenosophy, Episode 3, Beyond the Matrix. How you doing today, Gingy? Doing well, man. Doing well. How are you doing? I am very well. So, I definitely am uh, excited, I guess, the word, um, about this particular episode because it's... Uh, I feel like it incorporates so many of the philosophies that I personally um, have adopted as uh, principles within my life. And I feel it's extremely beneficial for an individual to be able to get outside of themselves and outside of the matrix um, as, a, as a practice for wisdom and um, I would say general well-being from mental well-being to physical well-being. So uh, I'd like to start off by kind of uh, because my, my goal is to not only tie in philosophy, but also to tie it in to the metaphors of the Matrix, the, the movie. Um, because I feel that it's actually an extremely powerful metaphor. And now I haven't thought through, <laughs> although I have done this in the past, you know, I have tied in the concepts of the matrix in, uh, into uh, philosophical conversations. So it's not something I'm new to, but it's been many years since I've done it. So it's probably not going to be how I've tied it in before. But it will be tied together somehow, some way. That is my goal. And I'd uh, like to start off, as we usually do, by uh, defining a couple things. So, What is uh, the Matrix? What is the Matrix? And I w- I'm going go to go to Morpheus for this one. Because <laughs> uh, he's got some great quotes. And again, we're going to tie this in metaphorically. Um, so M- Morpheus, in the movie The Matrix... In speaking with Neo, the matrix is everywhere. It is all around us, even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And then Neo, oh. But truth that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, into a prison that you cannot taste or see or touch, a prison for your mind. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to bring up a couple Morpheus quotes throughout this conversation. But I'm, we're going to start there with what is the Matrix. And the, the approach that I want to ha- take during this conversation is not the matrix as you are a victim of, but uh, the matrix as you have power with, meaning through your own practices, you can free yourself from the matrix and get beyond the matrix, especially once you get to a point of being able to identify what the matrix is and how 
you have been bonded to it, right? So let's uh, let's break that down a little bit because okay, in the movie we know what he's talking about at this point. Right. Unless you've never seen the movie, then probably go see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're talking about in there is a computer program that everybody's in sort of like a virtual reality machine plugged directly hardwired into someone's brain. Right. right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, so we're not necessarily talking about that, but it's a cool analogy for what are we talking about? Exactly. And, and yes, I don't want to, I'm not trying to imply that you're all plugged into some machine somewhere, but what a great metaphor, because <laughs> If you are reacting to the world through the matrix, you are, in some sense, feeding a machine. Many machines, right? It was the machine world that is powered by you. And this machine, um, which constitutes all the systems of society, is, is, has become as powerful as it is because we feed it. Our energy goes to prop up the matrix right? and, the, and the systems that, that feed back the matrix to us. Now, I'm not trying to imply that the matrix is purely something fed to you because it's also a function of your interpretations of reality. And so here's, here's, the, here's the conversation that we need to have to set up some presuppositions that will be underpinning this conversation about reality. Um, oh, let me bring up Morpheus. Morpheus has something to say about reality, right? Cool. And he says, what is real? How do you define real? Is real what you can feel, smell, taste, and see? Well, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. So... What is reality? And from a philosophical standpoint, the, the, the underlying philosophy I want to pin in here so that this is the, uh, I feel, a model that empowers us as individuals with the matrix so that we can free ourselves and get beyond the matrix and operate um, outside of it, so to speak. So, what is reality? Um, for this particular conversation, and I want to know what you think about this and, and, what my, and how I'm going to approach this conversation of reality. So in previous, in previous uh, podcasts, we've discussed consciousness. And so for this particular conversation, I'm kind of borrowing from some Western philosophy, definitely Eastern philosophy on the nature of consciousness and its, and its relationship to reality. So if we presuppose that consciousness itself is reality and that, and, and like I said, I'm going to be able to tie this in with the model of the matrix very well, actually. So if, if consciousness itself is reality, okay, and the subjective and objective nature of our reality, um, for instance, and when I, what I mean by subjective and objective, is we perceive the world as if it is outside of us from a subjective perspective. And we analyze 
and give meaning to the world as it as as the objective. Okay, so from that worldview of there being a difference and a distinction between the subjective and objective, the world outside of you is real reality, right? Um, the objective world is reality. And your subjectiveness, the experience of reality, is distinctly different, as if they're, it's a dualism, as if they are separate. Philosophy that I want to underpin for this particular conversation is that there, there is no true separation between the objective and subjective, that it is consciousness, that they are features of consciousness, that that which we call objective and that which we call subjective are a process of consciousness. And so there being no distinct separation between the two and that it, so it's kind of like a ontological ecology and that, you know, being in the world, being itself is a, is, is tied to the, the ecosystem of being, we'll call it. So the environment, right? So the environment and the perspective within the environment are all feature of consciousness, are all a feature of consciousness. So that's kind of the, the, un, the philosophy I want to underpin here as, as we move forward in this conversation, because again, I feel like it's it empowers us having that as the foundational worldview in this particular conversation of freeing oneself from the matrix. I feel that that perspective lends us more power to free ourselves from the matrix. In, in Can we put that in, um, in like a simplified version? How about you tell where... me here, you tell me what you just heard. Yeah. So what Explain it sounds like to me, to me is, the philosophy of the dream happens within the dreamer. Everything within the dream is within the consciousness of the dreamer. So Okay. Now the, notice, hold on, but you're, here you're making okay. the distinction. So I don't know if I made this clear. I'm not operating under the, the philosophy of dualism where the conscious perspective and the objective world are something separate. So that right. I brought that up, but that's not the perspective we're going to be pinning. So I just want to make that clear as you move forward. Okay. And that's where right. I was going with that, where okay. there really is no separation between the dream and the dreamer, mm -hmm. just like there's no real separation between the different characters in the dreams or the different objects in the dreams. Right. It's all the process of dreaming. Right. So it, would that be a simplified version of what you just said? Yes. You because a you, lot of big words. Because you, <laughs> yes. And because you explained it as process, dreaming. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's so many words we could apply here and then break them down. And what, what is the meaning of that? Like we could say living, we could say being right. But rather than seeing it as subject object, we see it as process. So the word you use there dreaming is, is I would say completely appropriate because dreaming is process. And from process, we could create false terminals like, dreamer and dream but right. there is no dreamer and there is no dream without that process of dreaming so there what if we say well reality is dreaming and then we create the concept of dreamer and dream as as these distinctions that aren't necessarily reality we've just 
separate and, and and again this process of separating ourselves is very useful i mean as we get into what being beyond the matrix is you, you'll find that being beyond the matrix would make you completely dysfunctional in society <laughs> you know? because you would have no common interpretations with the people around you you know it's kind of like a newborn a newborn is completely oceanic in the, in its in its consciousness so it's useless <laughs> as far as functioning within society um so so you could see that when you when you really if you get beyond the matrix it because you free yourself completely of your worldview and your um presuppositions and the narratives okay this, this is going to be key in this conversation the narratives that you that you filter the world through if you were completely free of all that there would be no basis for interaction with you and other individuals so being beyond the matrix is powerful and can bring insight and can bring uh, enlightenment and can and can uh, facilitate uh, bringing your mindset to a place of peace or joy or whatever. If especially if you find yourself in a situation where you're not experiencing that or you're experiencing something you don't want to be experiencing, by being able to separate yourself and 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 get beyond the matrix, you can you know be in a place of of, I mean, in many different philosophies, they have many different names for it. I would say like in the concepts of Chan or Zen, you have Satori, which is this moment of complete awareness of reality. Um, and in that moment, there's, it's all you're, you're experiencing the true nature of the universe and absolute truth. And this doesn't only exist within, you know, these particular disciplines or, or ideologies, it exists almost in every spiritual tradition, especially like in religion, yeah. um, even in Western religion. Yeah, shamanism, yeah. Western religion, even people who do psychedelics have these types of experiences where it's like, uh, you know, this, yeah. this experience of complete connection and in, in the dissolving of all your worldview and interpretations to where it's like, you see it. And then what's funny is then you try to communicate it, but to communicate it, you got to kind of like come back in. You got to go back into the matrix. And as soon as you step back into the matrix, you can't really explain what you just experienced um, because now you're limited with, you know, with, again, your worldview is back. Your narratives are back. You have to use the symbols of your language, which are limited in, in, in expressing that experience. Mm -hmm. But Dude, funny enough, I actually accidentally entered into that a state like that. It wasn't the exact right. same. Right. It was where I could I I could know in that moment all there was to know. Right. My role in growing grass and shining the sun, I knew who was gonna speak, I knew what they were gonna speak about, I knew the events coming in my immediate future. It was as if I was just plugged in. Right. And it was overwhelming. Yeah. I couldn't do anything but just stare with my jaw dropped right uh <laughs> yes and, and like a little overload and that's and that's an experience reported by people all over the world throughout the ages and here's the problem how you interpret that experience has to do with your the narratives that you are mm -hmm. driven by right so people who grow up in the western traditions of religion right 
they think, oh my God, I'm Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then everyone oh, else God. like, yeah. And everyone else like, whoa, dude, no, you're not, you know? Um, and, and so it, it, because you, to have that experience, it's like, well, I gotta be <laughs> like for or a moment. I, yeah. For a moment, I knew how the whole universe worked and like, and I got, I saw what was coming. I knew what you were going to say. And, and so that it, and in many traditions, depending on your worldview, well, especially in the Western tradition, that's like immediately you'd start walking around telling people you're God or Jesus Christ because of an experience you had, you're not going to be well received. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in our Depends current culture, yeah, Depends maybe it's your like, audience. Well, I identify <laughs> as Jesus Christ. So, um, however, in some traditions, like in India, where it's like they're, they're, I would say their worldview, right? The foundational worldview based in, in Hinduism is that the Brahman is the ultimate reality. What we would translate as God is all there is. And that all expressions of the Brahman, every individual, every animal, every planet, every star, the Brahman manifests and expresses in all these different forms. So in that tradition, if you were to walk up to someone and go, oh my God, I'm God. They're like, uh-huh. Yeah, you are. <laughs> no big Welcome deal. The club. Like, yeah. Oh, you figured it out. Good job. Um, congratulations. <laughs> so it's not, it's, there's no stigma to it. You know, whereas in Western traditions, like, no, no, no. There's only one and you ain't him. Um, right. And so it's depending on the culture and the worldviews and the narratives of that culture, you will be you will even have judgments about it for yourself depending because again if you're unaware of those narratives and those that worldview that drives the filters that you see reality through there's no other way for you to express it or experience it other than from your worldview and from your narrative so if if the worldview if the narrative is that there's this one God and he gets it. You know, he's, uh, he's operating on all levels and has complete awareness of everything. And then you have an experience where you have com- what you experience as complete awareness of everything. You're like, oh, well, shit, I guess I'm God. And because that's the only way you have to explain it or to express it is that hmm. like, that's what it was. I, you, you guys don't know. Like, uh, but I know, <laughs> I know I'm God because I had this experience. So I've actually so had a friend that came up to me and was like, oh my God, dude, Jesus came to me in my sleep. And he was right. telling me all this information. I was like, how do you know it was Jesus? He's like, well, because the way he looked in the robes, and I was like, did you ask him his name? I was like, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> right. like, so you're just guessing. Like, you had right. no real concrete idea on who that was. Right. Yeah, but, it was, but he had the experience that it was, right? And, that, and again, right. he's interpreting his experience through his worldview. If he grew up in Western traditions and Western religion, of course that's Jesus. Now, if he grew up in an Islamic nation under Islamic beliefs, he'd be like, oh, dude, it was uh, Muhammad. Muhammad came to me and spoke to me. Um, and, and, it, and maybe if he was in uh, uh, a, a part of, the Judea, of Judaism, you know, maybe he would see this individual as one of the prophets of Moses or of God himself, right? So if, but for all I know, because I really wasn't there, I didn't have the experience. For all I know, right. it was Jesus. And he was right. dead on. And he right. didn't have to ask. <laughs> I'm right. like, I'm okay, that's absolutely real too. Or could be real, a real possibility. Right. For for me, 
hearing it secondhand. I don't know. For him, he was dead right. certain. Yep. Right. That was yeah. Cheap. Yeah. And so, so again, in this conversation, what I want to look at is the narratives, the narratives in the worldview, because until you can get outside of your narratives and worldview and the, and the ideologies, which you have adopted that you're not even necessarily aware or conscious of, but it is absolutely filtering and biasing information. Right? If we just, if, if uh, again, if we, let's look That's at the, the matrix. Yes, let's look at the animation of the matrix. Okay, so here, and, and so this is, I'm going to try to tie this in metaphorically with this, with this imagery from the movie, right? And this isn't actually from the movie, I don't think. Somebody's interpretation of the imagery from the movie. So reality is consciousness. So behind this, okay? So the, the context of this is reality is consciousness. What we're seeing here is information, right? So it's events. We'll just say events because it, it could be somebody speaking. It doesn't speaking. even look like information. It looks like a shitload of symbols that aren't even right. numbers or letters that I can really identify. Well, because maybe the number nine. You're not a eight. you're not a machine. This is this okay. is the language of the machines. Okay, so okay. so don't get don't get too deep into that aspect of it. But <laughs> so so at, these are like streams, and and really you can see it. It almost looks like there's layers of it. So it's it's yeah. this infinite amount of information. Remember you you said something uh, I think a couple podcasts ago about how there are so many bits of information that we actually take in, but our conscious attention is only on mm -hmm. a, a very small portion of it. But so if you look at this as like, this is, this is the events around you. So, and remember Cypher in the movie, he's all, I don't even see the code anymore. I see blonde, I see brunette, you know? And so, but what he's saying, it, again, what is being demonstrated there is there's raw information, but Cypher sees the illusion, right? Based on his beliefs, based on his worldview, he, he only sees his interpretation of the information. So again, if this, if this represents all the events that you could experience in life, right? Whether it's someone speaking, whether it's an itch on your leg, whether it's the, uh, the, the images in the room, Right, so we'll we'll define that as events, not that you know the chair sitting in the corner is necessarily eventful, but that you seeing the chair in the corner is an event. Right now, chairness, right? That chair is an interpretation through my worldview of we'll say I'm going to call it raw information. Right? So it's raw information being taken in by my eyes, right? I so would it's call it stimulus. That's fine. That works, you know. Pure um, stimulus and your interpretation of the stimulus, the electrical right. signals, the whatever it may be. Right. But, you, but also consider, or whatever. right, but also consider thoughts as part of this. So something that, okay. because people, it's funny, just like breathing. So breathing, you can be conscious of and have control over. But when you're not conscious of it and not directly controlling it, it happens, right? It's the same with thoughts. Like you can direct your thoughts into thinking about something, but if you don't 
aren't directing your thoughts and aren't necessarily conscious or aware and steering them, they happen, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They're just going. So, and, and a lot of times it's, it's, it's processing, right? It's, it's taking in the events around the individual and interpreting it, making, giving it meaning, right? So that's the next thing. So if we, if, if everything around us, whether it's like you said, stimulus, whether it's visual stimulus, audible stimulus, um, tactile stimulus, it's, uh, I'm calling it information, but it has no inherent meaning. That meaning comes into this at the layer of narrative and worldview. So we have in and our back. I pointed out in one of our maybe offline conversations. Right. The meaning gets assessed and ascribed after the present moment. It's always in hindsight, whether it's a millisecond later or years later. Right. Right. And it, and it seemingly happens simultaneously because you react inst- seemingly instantaneously to an event, right? Yeah. So something occurs and you immediately react, even if the reaction is internal, meaning something like a feeling. Feeling is definitely one of those things that is immediately there with an event, right? So you have a newborn child, you see the child, immediately the, the feeling within you, you know, love, appreciation, gratitude, whatever you, like, it, it's immediate. Like the feeling is just within you in being in that experience with the newborn child, right? So whether we're talking about feelings, thoughts, all of that, that's, that's the matrix in that those are all being generated through our worldview, our narratives that give these otherwise neutral events meaning, okay? And so how does this imprison us? How does this enslave us? Well, when we're unconscious of the narratives, ideologies, and worldview we have, we have no power over our reaction to the neutral events. They become... It's just an automatic... Yes, they become the events around us and our reactions to them, the feelings we feel, the thoughts we think, we're we're enslaved by them. We have no power to have a different reaction. And so in getting beyond the matrix, first thing is a level of awareness and presence to the narratives, ideologies, and worldview that is giving meaning to all these neutral events. Because once you are able to consciously separate yourself and be able to look at and see the ideologies you hold and the truths that they create out of the neutral events around you, right? So, and again, being beyond the matrix 100% of the time makes you dysfunctional. <laughs> in a society. So it's not it's not like you want to necessarily step into being in that experience of being completely outside of your uh let's let's call them tools, right? So they're not they're not good or bad, right? Narratives, ideologies, um in fact they uh or worldview, they could be very useful because they're very necessary in a lot of situations. Right. Absolutely. However, 
They're also malleable, which again, if you're not aware of and can't separate yourself from your beliefs or your worldview or the narratives and ideologies that drive you, if you cannot get your consciousness and your awareness outside of that and look at it for what it is and see like, ah, that's why I give events like this, this meaning, right? Then you're trapped, okay? And then you look at the what shapes the ideologies, what shapes the worldview, what shapes your beliefs and narratives. And so in, in our present society, we have um, mass media, right? Oh my God, this is... Real quick, before we get into that, Let's break down a little bit okay. what, uh, what the process looks like. Because we've mapped this out in training rooms before. Right. Where an event happens, what, mm-hmm. whatever the event is. Right. Some type of stimulus comes in, someone says an act, someone says something, mm-hmm. some big thing happens in the world, we don't know. Right. And then the individual has an automatic reaction to it. Right. And that right. reaction creates a specific result in relationship to it. And Absolutely. Then repeats, right? Or right. we talk about the other side of the circle where an event happens, you see it for what it is and you choose your response to it. Right. And, you create... and that's the power. And that's right. and you can only have that choice and that power with that event if you can separate yourself from the things that have you on automatic, right? So there's right. there's that level of being on automatic, which I would say 99.9% of the of humans are on automatic 99% of the time because, <laughs> because it's, it's useful. Yeah. Again, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just, it's functional. It's useful. Like, I mean, how often do you drive from one location to another and you're like, Oh Jesus, I don't even know how I got here. You know, how like, boring would it be to shower intentionally? <laughs> I'm gonna I, scrub each hair. I'm gonna... Exactly, exactly. You you're in automatic when you're showering. You're just you know you're going through the process that you don't even have to think about. But when you start to like a practice, right? That we can that we can uh, embody, or that we can uh, start to start to bring in into our lives in order to develop that skill of separating ourselves is intentionality because in intentionality, like you said, in a showering, right? That's, I mean, you could turn a shower into a meditation in being fully present to an intentional with every aspect of the shower to where you're present to the feeling of the water and the temperature of the water. And you're present to what you're currently washing and then what you're washing next. And so, and this, this practice of, Getting outside of automatic. It's almost like that's the first step, right? Let's get off automatic by Not being intentional. Being present. For me, it's being present to the automatic. Right. Like noticing the patterns that I get into. Sometimes I'll get right. into the shower and I'll just watch. Wow, this is the third day in a row I've washed from top to bottom. <laughs> Not oh, wow. that I need to you only do that three, intentionally. I, that's like every day for me. It's whoop, whoop. That's just the process. Well, no, I'm <laughs> noticing. I'm being present. Oh. Okay. And this like, is the I, third I've day I've noticed. Years. The third day I've noticed I go top to bottom. I'm like, huh, right. interesting. That's a pattern. Right. Oh, this is the eighth time I've driven the same route home from work. Interesting right. I take the same way every time. Or right. inter- I go first thing in the morning and I, I 
you know, click the kettle on and start warming up some water for, for a tea or something. Right. These things, just to notice them, for me, is enough to start off that entire process. Because once Absolutely. I'm present to it, when a stimulus happens, like I wake up in the morning and I start walking downstairs, I'm like, oh, that's because my automatic is to go make tea. Right. Like, okay, cool. And instead, I could say, you know what? Today is a juice day. And I can right. jump right into the, that automatic process and intentionally at that point be intentional with the action that I do take. Right. Now, this goes beyond useful when you go, when you get out of the mundane day to day, you know, showering and tea in the morning and washing your hair and stuff like that, or driving home. And it gets into when somebody offends you, right? Somebody says something and you automatically respond to it. Mm-hmm. Instead of choosing what you want, what they say to mean, or being clear as to what they meant by it, and choosing to respond in a way that best serves you, that's an entirely different intentionality. Right. Instead of saying, you pissed me off, and you're a jerk. And right, right. <laughs> Leave it at that. Yeah, and that, and there's where the power is, right? The power in, in getting beyond the matrix, because it's the matrix that has you pissed off at this really neutral event. You gave it meaning. You made it negative. Um, and I, I mean, I have that with uh, what I'll, I'll call in a neutral space of feedback. If somebody gives me feedback on something automatic, and this, I'm sure I can point to childhood experience. I, I could probably point to a whole bunch of reasons why <laughs> my worldview and my, the narrative I hold is that when feedback when people give you feedback, uh, it is criticism. And it's an attack. It's an attack. It's <laughs> negative. Yeah. It's it's criticizing. So I could see it that way, right? Or if I can step outside of myself in that moment. So it's I'm 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 pretty good at it when I ask for feedback because it's like I've I've already done the mm-hmm. process of like, okay, this isn't criticism. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've stepped outside of the automatic, yeah, and I'm able to get for the event to occur, the feedback to come, and be in a space of neutrality with it, and then choose in that moment to be, I, I'm going, to, I choose to use this information for my own benefit, right? I, I'm, I'm going to grow feedback. from this. I love the term feedback because for me, it's the most accurate terminology for what's happening. It's not something coming at you out of the blue. Right. It's something that you fed in and it's feeding back. Right. <laughs> right. To what we're calling the matrix. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, it, and it occurs on all levels of life because you get feedback. Like, let's say you're at a restaurant and your waitress walks by and you want to get her attention and whatever method you choose to get her attention and she turns on a, you know, she turns around and, you know, you can see anger and frustration in her face and you're like, oh yeah, that, that's feedback. <laughs> that's feedback <laughs> for me that that method that I just used wasn't effective, you know, in, in, in getting what I want in this situation. And it's feedback for like where she's at. In that moment, mm-hmm. it may have nothing to do with the, because if you immediately react to her immediate reaction, well, now you you're like, well, what a, 
you know, and you make up a name for her, you have some pejorative and you, you know, like, like you may not say it out loud if you're, you know, a civilized <laughs> person, you won't say it out loud, but you may immediately go to that place of like, well, she's bad. Right. And, and that's not necessarily so when you can step outside of the automatic reaction, right? Again, filtering all events through narrative worldview ideology. When you can step outside of that, you can see it as like neutral, you know, She's reacting the way she's reacting. She may be upset. She, you know, but you're you're not immediately reacting to her reaction. So again, because one worldview could be, I've offended her. I'm, right. She's pissed off at me now because I right. said, did something bad. Right. Another worldview right. could point you to, she's just having a bad day. It has nothing to do with me. Right. And there's plenty of worldviews to describe what's going on. Right. But for me, <laughs> the power in in separating myself from the matrix would be to be in a constant state of discovery. Mm. I wonder if I'm right to assume this and go right. and check with her and ask right. her, Hey, are you pissed off at what I said? Or are you just having a hard day? Right. And connect with her and see what's going on. And knowing, even if she says, Oh, it's just a shitty day. She may be making up an excuse, to not mm-hmm. hurt my feelings to get a bigger tip. <laughs> right. And so Absolutely. then I get to check in. All right. It, is that even true? Which it, is the best right. way to go, like assess and go and go on with my day, basically. Right. And then really, again, if you're beyond the matrix, you realize regardless of how you choose to interpret that, it's not truth. Still it's the interpretation. It, yeah, it's always interpretation. Even if you ask her and she responds, that's not necessarily true. Or if everybody else says the same thing. Absolutely. The rest of the planet says, yeah, you were a dick. Still not true. (laughs) No, it's an assessment, you know, and it may be well-grounded. You know, they may have. It may be worth looking into. It may be worth looking into. (laughs) If everyone on the planet says you're a jerk, you might want to look at that, you know. Um, Still not truth. But it's not truth, yeah. It may be beneficial feedback from which to intentionally choose how you interact with people you're like hmm everyone thinks i'm a jerk and and it always seems to come from when i do this right so it's again you unless you can step outside of that the worldview the narratives and like i said you're being fed information that builds the your personal ideologies your worldview the narratives that you're not even necessarily choosing to adopt like for instance, like uh, one of my favorite examples when I did trainings was the Madison Avenue, the advertising industry. Most people are completely unconscious and unaware of what's occurring with a commercial, right? So here's the psychology of it. You are lacking. <laughs> I'm summing up every commercial. I'm summing up every commercial. You are lacking. You are not enough. You need this product. When you have this product, you will be sufficient. You will be happy. You will be enough. You will be powerful. You will be successful, right? So that's the nature of all advertising. It's like, hey, just want to let you know you suck and you're not enough. But if you use this shampoo, all the chicks will dig you. And that's and that, that's not being said overtly, right? They're not saying it in those words, but that's the imagery. That's the psychology behind the commercial is 
And now you've taken on the narrative. I'm not enough. <laughs> I don't use, I don't use head and shoulders. I'm not enough. You know, I don't drive a Porsche. I'm not enough. You know? And so this, this is part of the narrative you're building. That's part of the matrix. And again, it's not like this, that the matrix, the matrix is of our own building and design because we do have the power to rewrite our narratives, to rewrite our worldviews. We do have that power within us. Now we're not necessarily aware or conscious of that power and we're very rarely stepping into authoring our lives. However, we do have that capacity. So if I'm unconscious and unaware of the narratives and worldviews driving my life and I'm getting bombarded with messages like you're not enough and you need to be here to be happy. You need to be here to be successful. You need to be here to be loved, right? I mean, this is the, this is what advertising is saying. And again, it's not malevolent. What a great strategy because you're going to want that thing. I mean, that's their job. Sell products. They want you to go to the store and buy it. So if they convince you, well, I'm going to be a better person if I go get it, you know, that that's good advertising. Even right? on an emotional level, if they can get you to a place where you feel like you do want it. Right. So the next time you're at the store and you're like, hmm, Coke or Pepsi, you're like feeling like a Coke. No rationale behind it, mm-hmm. but I feel like I want that. That's years and decades of subconscious manipulation. Right, right. Product Even place. to the point <laughs> of uh, like going to a, a, a baseball game or something right. like that. Right. And all I've, your friends drink Coke. You're not going to be the one person drinking Pepsi. Right. And then you're going to identify even more so with those commercials over the years. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've heard of people having product placement in their dreams. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what the hell? Why, why am I in McDonald's? You know, like, like, like literally like advertising is affecting you at such a deep mm-hmm. level. You're seeing products, you know, like yeah. there was a bottle of pert <laughs> in my dream you know there was a coke i don't know why, but i was really thirsty for a coke the whole exactly time. <laughs> yeah so it's product placement yeah. in your dream because it does it's it's i mean again that's the intention to affect you at a psychological level where you now embody incorporate this information as part of the narrative and worldview that you live your life out of you're not even aware of it you've now it's part of the narrative I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And, guess and, be- what and because every commercial is telling you you're not enough, you're like, well, shit, I need a Mercedes. I need head and shoulders. I need Coca-Cola. <laughs> I need McDonald's. Like, Yeah, but it's not even that blunt or that obvious. No, it's it not obvious at all. like, I'm going to go talk to this girl. And she turns me down. Ah, yep, I knew it. I wasn't enough for that one. Exactly. Let me go talk to the next one. Right. And it's like it, it tilts you that 1% you need well, to because, go in that direction. Because it's part of the narrative. It's yeah. part of your worldview. Again, remember I said at the beginning, the worldview, the narratives, the ideologies, it's a filter. You see and interpret reality through it. So if in your narrative you are not enough, what you see, you collect information to support that belief. So all you see is I'm not enough, right? Because you, it's, you've integrated it. You've incorporated it. It is part of your narrative, your personal story of who you are at an unconscious level. So you interpret all the information that comes through as it, yep, I'm not enough. I'm not enough, right? 
So it's, it's reaffirming the belief. And, and like, if you look at like the ideologies that are possessing the public, especially, I mean, now I'm seeing it worldwide, but there's many people are possessed by ideologies that they interpret the world through. They're not necessarily aware or conscious of these worldviews or these ideologies, but as information comes to them, the information could be completely contradictory to their belief but they only see it as supporting their belief, right? Dude, there was a, I was listening to one of Joe Rogan's new episodes today. Not, not even the whole thing, but part of it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, the whole thing with Black Lives Matters and uh, police brutality and, and defund the police and defund all these other organizations, that he's like, we kind of need to keep us safe <laughs> to deter <laughs> people from just robbing and killing and whatever else. Right. He's like, we don't see every day a police officer and an uneventful stop with a respectful, like, uh, submissive or obedient type of person. Right. Like, that doesn't make the news. Those videos aren't filmed. Those ones don't go viral. (laughs) He's like, all we're seeing are those ones in conflict, those big deal ones, which had just so happened to be look, another black guy is killed by another cop mm-hmm. viral. Everybody watches that. Right. Nobody watches the one guy that's like, hey, got to speeding, but having a good day, so here's a warning. No. Right. That doesn't make the news. No. So and what we're constantly seeing are things in that worldview. Right. Of but here's the police thing. Police are bad. And, and again, police are doing X, But here's the thing. There's people who already live through the narrative that police are bad, right? That, or that even they're not enough, or, or that, or that, uh, or that minorities, blacks and others, are unfairly targeted, right? So you already have these beliefs, right? And we're not talking about whether or not it's true. We're not no, talking about not. percentages or actual facts. Nah, we're just I'm talking not, about the yeah, world. I'm not, I'm not here to do statistics. However, you already have that as a belief. Then, of course. Any event you see confirms that, right? And it's, so even if, you know, and I I don't really agree with this term, (laughs) but it's a term used by law enforcement, a good shooting. I don't know if, I don't know if if I agree with the concept of good shooting. Um, Now again, yes, of course, it is important to protect people and the public and yourself. Um, However, it's even if let's say it's fully justified you already have these layers of beliefs that you didn't necessarily consciously choose however it's everything you see every event that occurs outside of you is evidence to support the belief and because you're not even in a a, a state of awareness and consciousness of getting outside of these worldviews, these interpretations, these narratives, the ideologies that drive your life, because you're not, you, you don't even have the practice of getting outside them and, and really analyzing them, taking a look at them, like seeing them for what they are. These, this is why I give events like this, the meaning I give them. There's not necessarily that level of awareness. Like I said, 99.9% of the people are walking around 99.9% of the time. 
in automatic. So it's it's <laughs> it, it's not something that unless you get into the practice of getting beyond the matrix, stepping outside of it, right? Seeing that you're, for one, uh, something we need to address here is your ideologies, your worldview, and the narratives that drive your life are not true. I wish there was They're a way layers that we could sort of, of interpretation. Draw a line. I wish there was a way we could draw a line between the the interpretations of people, different people. So, like on on you see a police shooting, and say it's white cop shoots black guy, unarmed mm-hmm. black guy. Say. I know right off the bat there would be a lot of people up in arms saying, "Hey, Black Lives Matter, and police need to be defunded, and you know this is just one more reason why X, Y, and Z." Right. And I know that there's a large group that would look at that and say, "We need to support our police officers." And absolutely, you know, this is more propaganda by the left or X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. They're going to have their whole interpretation of it. Right. Right. And then and, say, and neither flipped. one of them's true. Neither one of them's right. true. They're both interpreting through their ideologies. Right. You know, so, but. And you could switch it and say, black cop shoots white guy. And it's mm-hmm. almost like all those narratives completely fizzle out because the parameters of the event don't trigger or resonate with any of the worldview. Hold on. But, Hold on. No, what about, not that what they about, don't. What about the worldview that all that the source of all evil in the world is white dudes? <laughs> then you're like, oh well, that's a good shooting. <laughs> he's a he's a white dude. He needed to be executed, right? He's the source of all Possibly. evil. So, and, but I'm and, talking about the worldviews that were at play for the first initial example, right? Like you're not going to take black cop shoots unarmed white guy out onto the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff right you're not going to bring up that version that event right and, and here the other side's not going to be like oh more propaganda they're going to look at that and go, oh one of ours went down they're going to take a totally different experience of it right so what i'm trying to do is find a way for people that are listening to this to understand where that line is because there's a very fine line between like we we'll say the facts of the event and the interpretation the narrative, the meaning, the yeah. worldview, the meaning that gets created in automatic or intentional response to an event. Right. Yeah. And, and I would say it, probably a majority of the time it's, it's automatic because the worldview is already there. In fact, I would go so far as to say that when an event occurs that you have no necess- like there's not necessarily anything within your narrative or ideology or worldview that addresses it. Then you're kind of in a state of like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here, right? Then you're actually in a state of thinking. You're actually in a state of curiosity <laughs> because it's not something that you have a built-in automatic reaction to, right? And so you're pink like, pink elephant Ooh. fluffs the pillow of a panda's, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. You're like, yeah. huh? <laughs> okay, so uh, first off, I didn't know they had pillows. <laughs> right. It's funny because I, I, as I see myself here, and that the. the you know, it, it it reminds me of how how spiritually evolved dogs are. That they they look at everything with wonder, like it's new, <laughs> right? Like this isn't some. They're the true masters, and they're yeah. always fucking happy. Yeah, yeah. And you 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 don't usually make that noise. What's going on here, right? <laughs> right. 
So it, and it's and it is it's in in a sense it's it is a curiosity. It's a they don't have an automatic around what's going on, so they're just like hmm? <laughs> they and can develop it. Like they you can. walk in and make a loud noise or something, and they'll like dude cracked me up the other day. I went to feed my dog, and I I'm working with him on on like stay and leave it. So right. I put a bowl of food in front of him, and I was like, stay, stay, leave it. And I see no shit like a huge drop of saliva just pour from his mouth into the bowl. And I'm like, oh, hey, you can go ahead and eat. <laughs> he went down and mounted down. I was like, I've never seen him drool or slobber or excessively lick anything. And I'm like, he's literally triggered by the food in front of him right. to a physical response of excessive drooling. And it wasn't a drip. It was a pour. <laughs> Like it's like it sprung a leak. Yep. <laughs> like I've even I've even walked into the room and been like, "Hey, no," and he's like, "Oh God, what happened?" I didn't. And he's just right. maybe sitting there doing nothing. Right. I could walk in and say, "Hey, I didn't like that you did that." And he's like, "Huh?" <laughs> he's totally happy and wagging his tail and kicking up because right. he didn't recognize the noises I was making. Right. Right. Like they absolutely take on that automatic, and they're right. always an automatic. They just not always understanding of what's going on right they've got well, no real well they have views and they stuff. have no they have no sense necessarily and again i'm i'm speculating at this point for all i know they're, they're yeah they're really deep thinkers i don't know like squirrels <laughs> <laughs> always in a hurry got somewhere to go i got somewhere to go um but the it, it may be that they're just free of the meaning uh, that like how our worldviews of that in our narratives give meaning to events, and I'm not saying that they don't have a reaction to the event, right? Like you saying no, the meaning you could say is I'm in trouble, but they have no concept of I'm in trouble. They just like uh oh, like yeah. he ain't he ain't happy. And again, mm-hmm. not that they have concept of you being happy or sad. They just it's it's instead it's uh it's acquired in, instinctually acquired that it's because of events they have these pre-programmed responses which is again really this it is what occurs in humans however we have the power to get outside of it of our own will whereas like you look at you know like the dog whisperer right there's work to getting the dog out of these automatic responses mm-hmm. right and so, but a, a human Funny enough, being, it's almost always reward, not punishment and correction. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, which with I you, think is awesome because if you look right. at how people learn, it's the same thing. Right. They don't learn by no, no, no. They learn by here's a reward for your good behavior. Right. Yeah. Whether it's self-imposed reward of, Ooh, I feel good because they complimented right. me. Yeah. Or it's and, like, here's a promotion. <laughs> here's and a higher salary. It's interesting because this, okay. So this particular subject, Let's look at social media for a minute and, and the power it has to program oh, you and, and, and possibly one of the strongest aspects of the matrix today. So social media, right? They came up with this concept and I'm not even sure there's a platform that doesn't incorporate this in some way, shape or form. The thumbs up or the thumbs down or the happy <laughs> face or the, you know what I mean? So there's, it's, it's, what is it? It's I don't know if you've seen feedback. this, but a caring feedback now. Well, like what the word caring? No, like the, it's like an emoji. They have the thumbs up, the thumbs down, 
the hearty eyes, the laughing face, the sad face, and then a caring face. What's the caring face like, look like? Smiling Aww. and hugging a heart. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> so like, oh, I care about that. Right. I don't like it. I don't love it. I care. I care. And, and oh, God, that's so, that's so part of the narrative right now, right? The, there's these official mm-hmm. narratives, right? And there's this, this ideology out there and a narrative that if you do A, wear a mask, you care. If you do B, don't wear a mask, you don't care. Right? That is why that's sometimes true. Some people that don't care don't wear masks. And some right? people that care do wear masks. Right. But it's not unanimous. No. And it and, and again, it's it's a pre-programmed meaning. And because you, mean you've already adopted a certain ideology, it always has the same meaning for you. Right? Unless, right? Unless it's someone that you hold in a different way. So again. If you already have a pre-programmed belief based on your ideology, based on your belief system, your worldviews, the narrative you've bought into, that person A is an evil fascist, right? And person B, well, he's an empathic, generous, great leader. Regardless of what person X does, I don't even remember if I'm using the right letters anymore. Did I start with X and go to A? Okay. So (laughs) A and B. Okay. So if person A is is does anything, you interpret everything they do as is affirming the belief that, oh yep, he's a fascist, he's a racist. Oh, that fascist donated to charity. What a dick. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Oh, he's just trying to get one up on us, you know. He's just trying to make it look like he's a good person. Um, but you, regardless of the events that occur around that individual, because of your worldview that you've adopted and that's been fed to you through sources you trust, that you you have no other way to react. You don't like sit back and think, well, hmm, is this is this possibly him being a good person? That's not no. Without stepping outside and be, getting beyond the matrix, that doesn't occur. of the time. And again, person B does something and it's like, oh, he's such a great person. He's such a good person, right? Because regardless of what this person does, right? He can make racist statements, but he's not the racist. You believe the other person's the racist. So he can make completely racist statements, but you're like, oh, it's so adorable. Because you, your belief, the, the worldview, the narrative you have about this individual interprets everything. As far as events regarding that person. Of like, even if there was footage of that person being raging, you know, jerk, racist, offending somebody, like, ah, that's got to be photoshopped. (laughs) Right. That's got to be fake somehow. It's a deep Or whatever justification might be going on. Yes. Like, well, that person must have done something that really deserved it. (laughs) There's all types of justification. But this isn't just for personalities we see online or on TV. No. This goes to like where you hold your friends and your family, mm-hmm. your and mother, your members, kids. Yep. Like, I don't know how many times I've been in a relationship with someone where I could not get out of the box they held me. No. And I'd and, go out and I would do everything perfect. I did this whole, I did 150 things on this list of things I know you love. And they'd <laughs> go to the one thing like, you forgot about the 151st. You're such an asshole. I can't believe you would. I'm like, <laughs> that's what happens. Right. Stuck in that 
not even just a specific ideology. It could well, be a it's, it's a narrative. belief. It is of- a narrative. It is a narrative. They have a narrative about you as an individual. And, and, and they may have a narrative about men. So you, people construct these narratives around race, around sex, around, uh, like there are men and women, right? There are men in the world who believe, oh yeah, can't trust a female, right? And there are women, nah, you can't trust men. And so, and what's funny is they usually end up marrying each other. Yeah. Um, and, and then of course it's a disaster. However, that there is no getting out of that narrative because they're not even aware or conscious of it, right? And what's interesting is they'll put those narratives on hold in certain situations and scenarios. Like when you're fed up with the guy you've been with and, and you're now looking for a new guy, it's like the guy you've been with can do no right. And the guy you're looking for can do no wrong. And I, I mean... And men do the same thing with women, right? The, the woman you've been with for 15 years can do no right. You know, everything she does just irritates you, right? And the, the, a, a new woman in your life that, you've, that you're uh, attracted to or that, that, uh, that incites something exciting within you that makes you want to be with this person, well, they can do no wrong. You know, Dude, in fact, perfect example. they, they could do example. the exact same thing as the other woman. They could say the exact same thing in the same exact way, and you will interpret them completely different because you have a narrative around this woman and you have a narrative around this woman, and you interpret. You, everything, every event that involves woman A or woman B is filtered through the narrative regarding woman A and woman B. Perfect example. I know you're going to love this. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. And it's funny because... They fall in love all over again because they forgot all the crap that led them to breaking up. (laughs) Right. Right. It was erased. They choose to do it anyway. And yes, they even get the recordings of how much they irritated each other and how much they hated each other. But there was nothing. They were present to nothing. They had no more meaning. They had no more narratives about the other. So mm-hmm. it's so even hearing where they had gone to as far as frustration and anger and you know all these feelings and uh, and and really it's again you take and the experiences exactly and they're this and this and exactly this. And I felt this way and it well was and but those experiences are constantly evolving the narrative and you yeah, see, validating exactly validating evolving it changes over time narratives aren't set in stone. Um, and so that's why, like at the beginning, it's all woo, sunshine and butterflies. But mm-hmm. then as you move along, because the narrative is slowly changing about this person that again, that you get to the point where they can do no right. Nothing they say, nothing they do. In fact, it could be the exact same things they were saying and doing when you first met them, but nah, because you've built up this narrative about this person. And that's why I used that movie in trainings with people because I'm like, look, and, and again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring out my interpretation of it until, you know, after they had seen it and like you the know, final weekend or something. No, no, no. It would, it would be, you know, I would assign it on one week and then, you know, review it the oh, next yeah. week. 
however, typically people are like, I, okay, I don't get it. Because <laughs> like, like, what is it's like an acid trip. Like they didn't like they didn't see what I saw. You so amnesia is good, right? <laughs> but as soon as I explain it from the perspective of how I interpreted the movie, they're like, oh wow, like that's profound. Like yes, I see that now. But that was that's how I always interpreted the movie. It was funny. I got excited the other day. There was a, a podcast that I listened to. And the hosts of the podcast were bringing up movies they had been watching, and they both mentioned Sunshine, the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'm like, ah! But then their interpretation and their explanation of it, now maybe they just didn't go deep on it, on what it meant to them. But I was just like, oh. <laughs> oh they didn't see what I saw. That's cute. You know, yeah. So, like, to me, it's a profound movie. Because what, what it demonstrates for me is, like, if you can step outside of and separate yourself from the narratives you create about individuals, about races, about sexes, about anything, right? All these things that you get triggered by, these are things that you can change your reaction to. And when you could step outside of it and go, oh, this is, look at all this meaning I created in our relationship because of a narrative, a story I've been telling myself about this other person. And once I'm able to free myself of the stories, get beyond the matrix, step outside of the matrix, we can be fully in love again. Well, I mean, it probably takes the other person being able to step outside of it as well, <laughs> because if they're, if they're still- Sometimes. Because it again, is. well, yes, because, well, because you're newer, if, you, if you're able to step outside of it, right? And you're able to free yourself from it. Well, now you're going to be coming from a place, from a level of intention that is, is different, right? And, and at some level, we do experience that. We do feel that, like, this is different, right? We, we might not be able to put... Yeah, we might... differently to it. Right. We might not be able to put a finger on it, but it's like, okay, this is genuine. This is authentic. This is loving. This is caring. Whatever it is, there's something, because the person has transformed themselves through separating them, being able to separate themselves from the narrative, deconstruct the narrative and get rid of it. Let it go. It's not true, but it's, it's, it's having you give meaning to and interpret the world in a way that's not working in, in, let's say in this particular relationship, right? Just like being able to step outside and separate yourself from a worldview, like, like let's say in your workplace, where if you have a belief about the work you're doing, the people you work with, if it, it time you and, get up. right, exactly. And this narrative goes and goes and goes. You get to the point of like, you hate your job, right? You can't stand it. Now, when you first started working that you were excited about it, this is work that you yeah. love doing, but because of a narrative you've created around the individuals you work with, around the work, the job itself. Yeah. Whether the time, the drive, you know, especially we're in Southern California. Oh my God, you know, uh, sitting for three hours on the highway to get to somewhere. It, 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 this, it, it transforms your experience. Your experience is always being filtered through that narrative, the worldview, right? Your ideologies. And so there is no step getting beyond the matrix without being able to step outside of the ideologies, the worldview, your, the, the belief systems themselves, those narratives, the stories you've told yourself about the people was, in your uh... life, about events in your life, because that's where the meaning comes from. And that's the experience is triggered. 
by the meaning that you've given any yeah. individual or event. I was talking with a coaching client earlier today mm-hmm. and the way that I phrased it, I feel like was, because we were talking about worldview, mm-hmm. the way that I phrased it, I think was received by her in a powerful way because it outlined for her and implied for her that mm-hmm. there was a difference between her and her worldview. And to say like, how do I put it? I said something along the lines of, you're not going to be able to go back and change the event itself. The fact, the measurable aspects of this happened at this time, whatever parties were involved, X, Y, but you can absolutely, and you're already doing that, changing your relationship to the event. Right. By changing the meaning and your, and the narrative you have about it. Yeah. And she was even telling me, she's like, this was the worst thing that happened in my entire life. X, Y, and Z. Right. And she's like, but now looking (laughs) back on it, it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Right. Because I'm more of the person I want to be today than I was back then. Right. And if that hadn't happened, I would have never gone down this journey. I would have never understood the things that I've learned. I would have never X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, the only difference is not in the fact of, you know, this happened to so-and-so at this date and time, but it was, it's the best thing or the worst thing. And mm-hmm. that's a monumental difference. The event never changed, but the flavor, the feeling or the, the dynamic of the experience mm-hmm. is ultimately and always malleable to right. change and say, you know, I got shot in the face, worst day in my life, to I got shot in the face, best thing that could have ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now that's not what she was talking about. But well, well. as as an extreme <laughs> example, <laughs> she never got shot in the face. Okay. <laughs> but as an example, something that serious, you can't right. change the fact that you got shot in the face. face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you can change the the entire experience of it. Well, you could, well, yes. Once you're able to change the narrative and the meaning that you give to it, because that's what well, shifts it's always the possible. Anybody can do this at any time. It's whether or not they're aware of this ability, like knowing right. that you have opposable yeah. thumbs, the knowing <laughs> that like how many kids they're so know useful. That they can... <laughs> like how many kids know they're constantly learning things that they can do like, Hey mom, watch this. I can run now. Like, okay. right. I'm going to watch you. Everybody can run. This is great. But it's such a big deal. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Like, hey, like I was with uh, with Maggie in, in LA. We went to uh, that, that big spiritual center, Agape. Mm-hmm. And there were some kids that came out. They were 16 years old or something, influencers, you know, had tons of followers on Instagram and stuff. <laughs> right. And they got up there and they were ranting and raving. And this one kid, super charismatic, super passionate. I was like, I'm enrolled. I don't even know what he's talking about, but I'm enrolled. <laughs> <laughs> and he's coming out there saying like, did you guys even know this? Like, it's the best kept secret on the planet. You can create your own experience. And this is how you do it. And he's just going on and preaching and telling all these people, like, it's the most brand new thing on the face of the planet. He's like, I'm telling all my friends. I'm like, guys, I'm choosing to be happy. I don't care what's going on. And he's absolutely infatuated with this concept. Right. And I look around in the in the theater and everybody's just like, 
this kid's pretty cute. <laughs> How adorable. Like, you know, I just <laughs> right. figured it out. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, those types of dynamics, they are available. Well, and, and it's everybody interesting. all the time. It's whether or not they know and right. choose to do it. Right. And I think this ties into where we were at at the beginning of the conversation, where we talked about these profound spiritual experiences that people have. And in all traditions, they all explain it differently because they all have their own worldview that they filter it through, like Satori, right? Or, uh, or, uh, Maksha or uh, uh, give mine what's what's now. what's the what's the word that uh, Nirvana? No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm th- uh, what's the Western uh, Western equivalent? Price crunches. No, I, I, yeah, I was just, well, maybe with some of the more esoteric, um, like maybe Gnostics or something. Uh, well, anyway, in all traditions, mm-hmm. there's this profound spiritual experience, and but it's always framed differently. But it's always transformative and so that kid his excitement came out of the fact that this was transformative this this awareness this consciousness is transformative so when you get to that point of actually recognizing like oh my god i can there is this aspect of me that i can separate myself from and look at and reconstruct, deconstruct, reconstruct, and shape it in a way that creates an experience for me that I'd be, that I'd be more, uh, accepting of, or more, uh, more, yeah, more empowered by or empowered with. Right. So there, once you have that awareness, yes, it's transformative. And like this kid, he's like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Right. And However, <laughs> there are adults who have not had this experience. Yeah. That, I there mean, I know have this. gone their entire life without understanding. Exactly. And I, and I would say that, like, in the trainings that I've done, I've noticed that that was one of the, the most profound experiences for people was to be able to step outside themselves and see that they had this power to rewrite, right, to author their life in such a way, to author the narrative to author the worldview in such a way that profoundly transformed their experience of, of reality, right? That's, that's profound. That's a profound power. And that in this conversation, we're calling getting beyond the matrix. That is a profound place to be. Now, again, you can't live there <laughs> because it's, it's not functional. In, in, in interpersonal relationships, but it's absolutely a powerful place to step into, especially when you recognize to that you utilize. Yeah. Because especially when you're recognizing that you have reaction to something that you're not totally excited about right now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not trying to label experience here and say there are good experiences and bad experiences and you should be experiencing this and you shouldn't be experiencing that because like one of those th- at one point I was at that place like, Oh, well I shouldn't be angry and I shouldn't I be, be sad. And I want time. exactly. I want to be happy and I want to be, you know, however, like now when I decide to have a shit day and I'm like, Oh dude, I'm, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be sad. You know, it's like so awesome <laughs> because I come out of it. Like it's it, it in itself is transformative and that I got to go through that day just feeling like crap. And because I got to feel like crap for that whole day, 
The next day, there's this profound distinction between what normal feels like now. It feels there's a new experience of of just having the everyday positive, whatever you want to call it, experience. It's it's so much richer because I chose in a moment to go into it and be sad or mad or whatever it was. And so now I'm not in a place of like judging and saying, well, you should always be happy and you should never be sad. No, be sad, be mad and then come back, you know, and, and because it makes the experience of not being sad richer or being happy <laughs> rather than there, well, labeling there's... an experience as a negative being happy becomes so much more profound when you let yourself experience sad, being, being, uh, being kind, right, to yourself is more profound when you recognize that you're not kind to yourself and you choose to be kind to yourself or to be kind to others, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, it, when you're consciously aware of choosing it and you can be kind to someone that you've had a narrative around, like let's say you, no matter what this person says or does, you react negatively. Okay, and this is this is definitely I've typical. Got people like that, right? And this is definitely <laughs> typical with people you've had a relationship for, for a long time with, whether it be family members, even like old school friends. Uh, yeah, there's always the friend of the friend for me. I'm like, ah, this asshole again. (laughs) Right. No one invited him. Right, exactly. And you've already got a narrative around it. So Mm -hmm. it's actually to to be able to, again, step outside of that. Let's get beyond the matrix and in this moment choose, like, he isn't necessarily a bad guy. You know, he, what What, what I do is I go, is he still an asshole? Is (laughs) he going to show up the same way or is he going to be different today? Right. I'm still coming from that experience. Right. right. But you could rewrite it that he never was. Right. (laughs) But I'm hoping to rewrite it and be like, oh, he's awesome today. Maybe he'll be awesome the next day. Well, and it, (laughs) and it, and it could be something as simple as he's insecure, like poor guy, you know, he's probably gone through a lot. And so you, you start to adjust your narrative again. Neither one is true. Whether you have the narrative of he's an asshole or you know, he's probably gone through a lot of stuff and he's, you know, probably got a lot of pain and he's really insecure. And so he acts this way to try to affirm, to you know, to, yeah, exactly. But it allows you to now be in a place of kindness with him. And now you can have a, a, a positive impact with this individual. And again, rewriting that narrative with anyone and everyone is totally doable and possible. But it's also something you have to be diligent with. Because yeah, unless you make time. it... Exactly. Unless you make it a regular practice of stepping outside of that, of your worldview, of your narratives, the stories that you generate your life from, and unless you make it a regular practice, which is why uh, in so many traditions, meditation is such a powerful tool because it's being present to the world around you without the meaning Right. And, and again, I would say it's the same for like in Western traditions of like contemplative prayer, that it's these are practices that are designed to separate you from the worldviews and narratives that have you experiencing life the way you're experiencing. Not that the experiences are bad. Hey, man, 
You want to feel like crap all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if you want to feel different, <laughs> then <laughs> look at the stories, the narratives, the, the worldview that you've constructed around events in your life, around people in your life. Because by reconstructing these worldviews... Or even what normal is. Because something right. I've noticed a lot is like, oh, I'm just always, you know depressed and I have a happy day here and there. So right. all of a sudden happy is not normal. When right. you have a happy day, you're like, oh no, when is it going to go away? <laughs> right. You're like, you're like Eeyore every day. Whereas right. that could be flipped. You could say, oh, just every day is always awesome. Every now and again, I have a bad day or shit day. I just give it to myself and have it the next day is great. Like you were mm -hmm. saying, mm -hmm. but that's already having the presupposition that normal is on the side of happiness. Normal right. is on the side of pleasure. Normal is on the side of, you know, what I actually prefer and enjoy. Right. Which, not always for everybody, but right. even that, that under, like, everyone's talking about, oh, coronavirus, no, 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 it's the new normal. I'm like, well, no. New normal would have to stand up against old normal. <laughs> right. Like, we're going to have to reassess and, and, reground into something to be able to call it normal. right yeah it's not normal <laughs> because it's nothing and, like what was both of those are a worldview right <laughs> what is the definition of normal right and 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 i would equate that that concept that you were just talking about is like it's like your it's like your default right it's like based on right if we look at the construct of your worldview the narratives the ideologies that drive your life, right? There's a, a, a large part of that has been set for years. And it's, it's like a machine at this point. You know, yeah. it just, it operates with If you're lucky, precision. you're like 16 right now. Yeah. It, it only got 16 years of it. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and, it, and it operates with precision, right? It's just, it is a reliable machine. Right? It's always acting the same way to the same stimulus over and over again, right? Well, that machine is, is what has you in that default space, right? It's so if you're automatic, right? If, you're, if your return point, your default is mopey or sad or angry or whatever it is, it's the machine. That machine that is basically your, yeah, it is the matrix. It is the worldview. It is the narratives, the ideologies that drive your life. And it's just ticking away, tick, 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 tick. And because you never look at it, you never even considered that you could take apart the machine and rebuild it. So because that's not even part of the awareness, the machine is just tick, 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 and your default is like you said, sadness, let's say, right? or depression. Oh, yes. Huge part of the population, their default at this point is depression, right? Or They're anxiety. just, yeah, or anxiety, exactly. Depression and anxiety. It's like where you come back to. What causes that default? The machine. The machine. Oh, God, this is okay. So we're tying this in the metaphors, the machines, the matrix. It's perfect. <laughs> I was say, we should like slap a definition on this now. So it's, it's pretty clear. And right. you, you started to a little bit, but I'm like, there, there is a definition for what we're terming the matrix, which I would assert to be 
the mechanics or the mechanisms that govern your life. Okay. Govern an individual. Okay, so now, so now you're creating distinctions of distinctions. And actually, you're not. You're not creating distinctions. You're creating new words for distinctions we've already made. I'm going to go out on a limb on this because okay. now, now in reality, I, I'm just as guilty because I've been using various phrases to really point to that one thing, right? So I'm, but I'm right. using the, I'm, I'm intentional in using those different phrases because there are slight distinctions. Like let's, let's make the distinctions of worldview, ideology, and narrative. Okay. Because I've been using these three terms over and over and over again. Yeah. And yes, I could have just said, use the term worldview for this entire conversation. However, I do want to make some distinctions here of what, because then now it's, now we're starting to analyze the machine. We're starting to break it apart. Okay. So if, mm -hmm. if these are distinct and so there's different parts to the machine and we'll call one part of this machine, your worldview, we'll call another part of this machine, your narratives, plural, and we'll call it another part of this machine, ideology. Okay. Ideologies. We will call them ideologies because in reality it's people That's are adopting. Thing. Yeah. And people adopt a multitude of them with no awareness of the idea of the, of the nature of the ideology itself. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it is rampant in our culture and society. Too. Yeah. No, no idea that there was actually people who sat down and thought this up and constructed it and you just bought in, not even knowing it was ever constructed. <laughs> you know, so, oh, so sounds like a good idea. Hashtag. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So the distinction of worldview, I'll lay that at the most fundamental level of your being, meaning that worldview is, and I'll put it at the, at, in the basement. It is the, it is the aspect that is the hardest to recognize and the hardest to see because it is fundamental to your existence, right? In that worldview is made up of like, let's say your cultural heritage, right? So like, like, like the, uh, like Irish man, there are certain aspects of an Irish man, right? That he's completely unaware of, but because he grew up in Ireland and because he's a man in Ireland, there are certain things he's taken on that he is completely unconscious of. And not only that, all the Irish, all the other Irish men and women are completely unaware of it because it's, it's fundamental. It's picked up at the most basic levels of our being and our interactions with others. So worldview constitutes, you know, familial history, right? So and language the language you use and even the distinctions of the language of your, let's say the, the spoken language of your culture, as well as the language of your family and the, or the people immediately around you. So there's that. And then there's the fundamental beliefs of your culture, which have never been examined necessarily by anyone in the culture. So like, like for instance, within Western culture, the concept, the belief that death is bad, right? That's fundamental in Western culture. Nobody ever considers it otherwise. Nobody ever looks at that and says, oh, well, you know, let's take another look at death. What if it's great? Not necessarily. Like, yes, there are, again, at the level of worldview, and, and, and I would say here's where we start to transition from worldview into narratives is like, or ideologies, which is like religion, depending on your religious beliefs. 
Now, some of that I can attribute down to those fundamental levels of, of worldview because you, if you grow up in a culture that has been just embodying a religion for generations, it's not something that's ever examined or questioned or analyzed. It's just inherited, right? It's embodied mm-hmm. through the way people are with each other, right? You've never even heard of the of the of a of the principle necessarily of the religion that's behind a, a way of being or acting with others. It's just because for generations the belief in this religion in this culture ha- has been embodied. This principle, like let's say hospitality, right? If you ha- if yeah. you if your culture has been following a religion for generations where hospitality is just a thing. It's you offer hospital, you are hospitable to everyone, anyone, right? And so that, that's just how you, it's not even necessarily taught to you as, oh, well, according to our religion, you must do this. Nah, it's just, everyone does it. Everyone's like that. So it becomes a part of you. You're not, you'll question it because it's just inherited through the behaviors of those around you and your own. It just, it, it, it just becomes a part of you. So that's, that's where I, where we'll put worldview. Now that could be like expectations of the world. Yes. And presuppositions. Not necessarily because expectations suggest awareness and consciousness. I'm going to put worldview in the basement. Necessarily. If I jump off a rock, I'm going to expect to fall. It's not that I have to think about gravity and all the things happening. Okay, so making the distinction of expectation here is subconscious expectation. Yes. Right. Yes. Conscious yes. or subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not like it's not like, but it's not an expectation of well, people should be hospitable. That's not that's not the right. layer of worldview for this conversation for the distinction I'm making. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, I'm not I'm not saying that this is the definition of worldview but this for this conversation this is what i am meaning by that distinction gotcha. worldview okay so now what do i place at at the level above worldview I'm contemplating here cuz narratives are definitely i'm going to i'm going to place worldview. ideology i'm going to put i would ide- do worldview as the unconscious unacknowledged presuppositions um, unacknowledged expectations of the world and then I would take a level on top of that where it's either you've created your own aspects of worldview beliefs or you've adopted them no I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna no? I'm gonna take it a step further I'm gonna make this distinction here okay. that narratives and ideologies can sink to the level of worldview so at one ah, point okay. okay so that so we'll say it's, it's kind of like a trickle down effect <laughs> For the, for the for all the Reagan fans out there, it's, a, it's the trickle down. So, so I'll say the next level above worldview, you know, in contemplating this. I mean, it's arbitrary at this point. <laughs> I'm going to say ideology, okay, because there are some, like in culture, in society, in families, there are acknowledged distinctions, principles beliefs and things that are that come from outside of you right so that this is where i'm going to put ideology yes this is this is a good this is a good way of layering it and here's why because ideology you 
you aren't, we're going to leave it at the level of there is an awareness. There's a consciousness because people talk about it and, and, and there's, and there's agreed upon meaning given to certain events. Right. And so this becomes ideology that groups of people will agree to give meaning to certain, to give a certain meaning to certain events. Okay. So this is historical or current. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter. There, there could definitely, because I mean, you could like, again, religion, right? So you're a Christian and you may not, you know, growing up, you weren't necessarily aware of the 10 commandments, but when, when we step outside of like behaviorism and what I've inherited as just in being in the world and in being in my culture and society, that now there's like, now there's distinctions being made. There's directives, there's, there's meaning. These events have this meaning. These things are good. These things are bad. So at some level, there's an awareness. There's a consciousness. Okay, so, okay, there's, oh, shit. You know, God's got 10 commandments. Okay, didn't know about this. And now and now it's like, okay, the, the, here, here's an idea. This is an aspect of an ideology, right? And again, it's it's comes from, and, and again, the distinction I'm making here is that the ideology originates outside of you. Okay, so it's... It's not personal. Now you may shape ideology. And what I'll say is, so again, the trickle-down effect is your narratives. We're almost there. We'll get to narratives in a minute. But your narratives can, just like they can sink down into your worldview, well, they can also affect your ideology, right? So the ideology itself may be, like we'll say it's something that was created outside of you However, when it's internalized, you can, you have play and you can kind of shift meanings to things around. Now, at what point does it become narrative and no longer part of the ideology? Um, there's, there's probably a fine line there. And uh, I would say at the point where you can find no one to agree with your interpretation of the idea. When nobody <laughs> agrees that that's the, that that's the, the nature of the idea. Cause like, let's look at Christianity, for example, dude, there's like 10,000 ways that people on this planet currently look at Christianity and interpret it. Okay. Which is right. Which is wrong. I'm not necessarily going to get into a conversation about right or wrong around this, but there are 10,000 different ways that people look at it. And there's probably more because when you consider that each individual is creating a narrative, but you could probably get 10,000 groups of people to agree like, yep, we agree to these truths, these things, these principles, whatever, right? Dude, I actually know a ton of Christians that are like, I prefer this church because that guy's interpretation of the Bible, right. it's better with mine. Exactly. Like, huh. Exactly. So we're... <laughs> Yeah, so there, it's it's not so an idea. So in that sense, like we can we could say that Christianity is an ideology, right? Mm-hmm. However, you know, we can get ten thousand different groups of people to that have a different version of the ideology. Okay, we'll call it that, or it's a version of the ideology. So at some level, your narratives and your influences can can shift ideologies. Okay? I would say. It becomes a personal narrative when nobody agrees, <laughs> and and not, and and again, that's just and that's from, really the nature of it, right? It'll right. disseminate down further, further, further until right. there are individual aspects of it right. that aren't shared by the the overall 
Right. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that narratives cannot be agreed upon. I'm just saying a narrative, a narrative doesn't have a necessarily a set structure. They're more personal stories about the world. Okay. So for instance, you may have a narrative again, this, this goes to the, uh, the advertising, right? The advertiser is speaking to you (laughs) and is having an impact on you. The impact the advertiser has on you is not necessarily the impact it has on another individual, especially depending on your level of awareness and consciousness to the psychology of the advertisement. So the narrative that you can construct about yourself, let's say from mass media, from advertising, from social media, oh, you never let me finish the thing on social media. You got me all confused and mixed <laughs> up with the, uh, with the new emoji. So, um, so in, in, in advertising, in me, mass media, in in social media, you have things that you are you interpret on a personal level. So like the advertiser saying, if you ain't got a Mercedes Benz, you're not enough. Again, they're not saying that in those words, but that's the psychology behind it. Like, hey, really awesome people drive Mercedes. Not really awesome. <laughs> like again, not you don't consci- you don't <laughs> consciously say that to yourself, but that's that's that narrative now may live within you now, right? That you the seed of it. Exactly. Exactly. And where you go with it, but let's face it, people have been bombarded, especially our generation. I get that, you know, with the newer generations, the nature of advertising and the nature of media has been transforming dramatically over the last decade or two. So it's, it, it, it definitely operates differently, but now it's really, it's probably a hundred times more effective than it ever was because of how much they know about the people they're targeting. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's amazingly uh, personalized. Right. People, right. Based off of age, race, mm-hmm. likes, um, education, right. expectations, website activity, what they've bought. It's ridiculous. There's some right. 500, some whatever data points they have on most Right. And here's, and here's where, and this is good because this kind of ties in to where I was going to bring up social media. So in social media, the, the first aspect I wanted to bring up was the, the confirmation, the affirmation, the thumbs up, the heart, the smiley face. Like this is now feeding people like this. When I do these things and I say things like this, it's good. When I say these things and do things like this, it's bad. Right. So it's, it's literally we're molding each other. You know, we're, we're, we're confining people because they want to be liked. This is the, this is one of the, one of the things that I found is, is prevalent in most human beings is they want to be right and they want to be liked. Right. So the term echo chamber. Yeah. That's what I'm getting to. Hold on. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Okay. So, because it's perfect with social media. So they want to be liked. They want to be right. So this system which social media is enforcing, reinforcing, is that reward system, right? This is why it came up in the dog conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a heart, you, you get a thumbs up, right? You know, you get really excited. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant feedback, right? There's feedback, 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 feedback. I got views, I got likes, I got thumbs up, I got smiley face, I got kissy face. I can face. only imagine what happens when a girl posts a selfie. And every like dude that's following her is like, 
hey gorgeous i like your photo and right. like and if i was if i was ever having a bad day post a selfie hey right. you look great Thanks. If I attach my self-worth <laughs> to my external. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, that's what's happened. Now, especially with the youth, their entire self-worth is wrapped up in social media. I mean, people have things occur within the, within the, uh, the environment, right, of the framework of social media, and they commit suicide. Like, like dislikes or something embarrassing that gets a lot of likes. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden your self-worth, you've attached your self-worth to these emojis, like literally <laughs> emojis. Or a cyberbullying post goes viral. Right. Exactly. Kind of exactly. Stuff. Exactly. That is now, it is now, it's more effective and more powerful than advertising ever was because you take it so personal. You know, a Mercedes commercial Peer comes pressure. on, you're not really taking it that personal. So it doesn't really affect you. But, you know, someone comes on your social media and makes a statement and everyone's like, yeah! And then you feel like crap. You know, and again, because you've attached your self-worth to the emojis, to the thumbs up, the thumbs down, the smiley face, the happy face, the laughing face, right? So you've, you've got your, your self-worth is wrapped up in that. Okay, so that's, that's aspect one of... The social media matrix, which is, I would say, probably one of the most influential and powerful aspects of the matrix today. It is because I've, in my life up until this point, I've never seen a more powerful tool for enslaving minds than social media. And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's profound. It's, it's. Beyond. I wouldn't even call it enslaving. I would just call it complete manipulation. It is. But the, and, uh, no, I'm not saying enslaving like they've enslaved you. You are enslaving yourself through your the, the weight, the value, what you... T- like. So again, people want to be liked, mm. right? I'm going to bring it back to people want to be liked, people want to be right. People are now projecting their image of themselves as their social media profiles, right? It's, these aren't, this isn't authentic people. This isn't real life. This is an image I construct and I sell everyone on and everyone else is doing the same thing. And then we all thumbs up each other and happy face each other. What, what are we happy facing? What are we thumbs upping? An image. A, an illusion, a the farce. one person that actually does say, fuck all of this. I'm going to show up to be authentic. They become the new trendsetter that everybody else pretends to be. No, I would say even 90% of the time, that's their new image. Yeah, people, it, it is. Yeah. People get caught up in, well, I'm going to be this type of person. Like, really? They live their life as if the labels and the graphics and the emojis and the shit that they put on these platforms is who they are. This is where we're at. That people are living their entire lives through the social media projecting, this is my life. Isn't it great? No, it's not authentic. And the people around you aren't being authentic. This is image reaffirming image. I'll buy your bullshit if you buy mine. That's what's happening, right? I'm That's selling an image. And I'm, exactly. Well, we're getting to there because the echo chamber is even worse. It, it, it gets deeper, <laughs> right? So, right, right? So I'm selling an image 
And because I want you to buy my image, I'm buying your image. So again, you buy my bullshit, I'll buy your bullshit, and we'll all pretend like this is real. It's not. It's, it is the furthest thing from real. It is the furthest thing from authentic. It is image. It is, I am selling an image. I am buying images. It is completely fictitious. It is completely an illusion. The very word. It is an image. It is, by the nature of the word, it is mythology. Imaginary. It, 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 well, yes, when you consider the people who are creative about it. Because <laughs> I'm going to put imagination up there with there has to be a level of creativity. I've met people who have, uh, again, this is, this, this is definitely my opinion and my judgment, my assessment. This is not true of anyone. But I've met people. Exactly. This is my narrative. <laughs> this is a narrative I have. That I've met people whose image of themselves and their portrayal of this image is like watching the worst B movie I've ever seen. Like, oh my God, you play your character so bad. Because, and, and, the, and again, this is my assessment. <laughs> this, is, this is completely my opinion. But they, they, they bought into an image of themselves. And they're constantly selling it. In, not only on social media, in real life. They're like, it's yeah. like they're acting a role that they've, constructed that is has like zero authenticity zero realism and they're not even good actors <laughs> like they're bad at it like oh my god you're horrible at this role pick another role <laughs> pick another role that you're better at you know um so that again my opinion my assessment no truth to that whatsoever narrative there okay and uh but it's it's something that that I've noticed in the, in the world of the mythology. And again, not that anyone's immune from a mythology of themselves. We all create an image of ourselves. And s- since before computers, we present an image of ourselves to other people. However, in real life, when you're actually face-to-face with people and having real conversations, not text messages, that's, the one th- that's another thing I've noticed with this younger generation. They want to they text everything. You know Why? Because you get to pre-plan, you get to construct Curate. your, yeah, you're curating your image through your response, right? It's like, you take, oh, no, 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 backspace, 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 oh, no, 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 backspace, backspace, right? You're like, you're, there is no, it's not genuine, it's not authentic, it's not spontaneous. Whereas when you're in real life, IRL with someone, there is spontaneity, there is authenticity, that you can see through the image. And that's, and that's why people have latched onto social media because it's difficult to see through the image. So people would now prefer virtual life because that's what it is. It, it doesn't, it is complete mythology. You know, are you, putting, are you putting a picture of every second of your day up there, right? No, you're curating. You're picking and choosing moments of your life and perpetuating mythology of who you are and what you are and what your life is. That's the nature of social media. Now, let's get into the echo chamber. Echo chamber is even worse because in the echo chamber, you, these platforms are so advanced 
at this stage. They have, an, they have a level of artificial intelligence that gets to know you at a deeper and deeper level by what things you stick thumbs up on, what things you stick thumbs down on, the things you search on Google, the websites you click on. They've even got technology that watches where your eyes rest on a screen. They know, oh, you're focusing on that. You know what I mean? So, so now that again, this artificial intelligence accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. And what it does is it doesn't like, oh, well, clearly, it, it, you know, the, the AI isn't like, well, you know, what's in the best interest of this person? No, <laughs> the AI is like, how do we keep this person glued in? Right? Because that's the nature of, of the technology. We want your eyeballs. We want your eyeballs on our platform all the time. So the AI is designed to, oh, oh, you like that? Oh, how about this? Oh, oh, how about this? Oh, how about this? Right? And so it just, it's feeding you, feeding you, feeding you. And then, and based again, thumbs up, thumbs down, happy face, sad face, whatever. It's, it's constantly recalculating, recalculating to the point where all you're seeing and all you're interacting with is things that are reinforcing the matrix within you. It's reinforcement, 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 reinforcement of the ideologies of the worldview of the narratives you hold. I mean, to the level of personal narratives, because it is seeing everything you do and making a calculated determination of, well, what do we feed you next? Right. And so because of this, like you're only ever getting opinions that you already hold. How is that going to make you grow? It's just reinforcing the ideology. It's, it's to the point where, and again, this is why I felt like this conversation was so important in today's world is that, and it, now it's at the point where it's like almost at the level of insanity that people have bought into their ideologies in the world. There's like, <laughs> there's like a craziness to, because it's, it's all, it just keeps getting reinforced. It keeps getting reinforced. It keeps getting reinforced. There is no diversity of opinion there is no other side of the conversation. Well, there is, to an there is no debate. Because I've found that even some specific posts, I'm getting kind of far away from my mic. <laughs> I, I even noticed that at a certain point, there were posts that I would make wildly popular. Everybody would be like, yeah, we love that. Gingy, great job. You're so blah, 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 blah. Like, awesome. I'm going to do more of those. Right. Then I put up anything that's at all controversial. Like, say, if it said either way on any vaccine conversation or either way on anything political or either way on anything really to do with like conflicting ideologies where right. there's not necessarily consensus yet. Right. And then I'd post any one of those and it would almost always generate a fight regardless <laughs> of what, what I believed about it. It could be like, you know, vaccine fraud and I could post that, no one would even read it. They would take right. the headline and say, oh, you're just one of those anti-vaxxers. I'm like, did you read it? No, but, saying but you see, fraud about the you don't way. get it. <laughs> that is, that is the echo chamber. Because look at the response. They, the, the Facebook knew, oh, this dude loves fucking talking shit on, on vaccine shit. So they feed it to him. Like, hey, hey, check this out. This guy thinks they're, this guy thinks they're fake or, or thinks they're, fraudulent or whatever, right? And they, they know that guy loves vaccine conversations, right? It's he, a hot topic. Yeah, he he's loves to share something. Exactly. Like and he's going to go, because you know how they know? 
because the dude left 24 comments in the last vaccine post. You see what I'm saying? So it is the echo chamber. He not, he doesn't necessarily share your belief, but because everyone and everyone like him who posts well, I 20, posted it, eh, and he's the person that's like, Fed exactly to him because he's the one that's doing it exactly and because there's a hundred other people just like him who want to post things about it and they'll do 24 comments in that post they all get it and then they just go back and forth they just go back and forth and they're just again they're all they're doing is feeding their own belief feeding Dude, their own like ideology three it's topics just... every time i posted there'd be like the same two people headbutting <laughs> exactly i post another post you know Eight weeks later, right? Same two people. Hey, yeah, and they start headbutting about same issue, different issue. Right? It's like they all of a sudden there was a line drawn in the sand, and I was in the middle of it. Right? <laughs> and I never responded to anything. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Share. That's cool. Share. And I'm like, why are people arguing? <laughs> what did I post? <laughs> and and again, so so that's why for me the the. What will I what will I call this? Because I don't want to necessarily give it a negative connotation, but the most effective aspect of the matrix today is social media. It is by and far the most powerful tool for dividing your consciousness, right? So we, we started off with reality and consciousness, right? It's, it's blocking, you know, beyond dividing. It is a block. And it's just, think about it like this. If, if the reinforcement of your worldview, ideology, or narratives is, makes it harder to penetrate, right? The more you reinforce it, let's say the denser it gets, right? So these new medias are so profoundly powerful in, in densifying, is that a word? In, in creating this density of your worldview, narratives, and ideology that it, it becomes that much more of a, a task in, in, uh, for seeing it and penetrating it to get Beyond the matrix, to get outside of the matrix, you You've really got to unplug literally from social it, media to get around right. that. Yeah, I, I have, and it's it's as if being like it's not that I deleted my Facebook, but I haven't been on there reading posts in maybe six months, right? Max, maybe more like three or four months, right? But I've noticed that since then, I've started developing the belief, the worldview that. I'm the only one that's thinking for myself. <laughs> I look around at other people and I'm like, weird. I've been having oh, the same yeah, kind of experience. <laughs> let's have a great conversation. And I engage with somebody and I'm like, wait, that's the exact like studies and information. And it's, and it's not words. even that. They're it's an ideology. Other people yeah. are saying. Exactly. It's an ideology. But not even the ideology. Cause that may be slightly tweet their interpretation of the okay. We'll say it's a it. okay. So we didn't I, we didn't really flesh out narratives, but we'll say it's a okay. shared narrative, right? Because yeah. there's there are narratives, there are like narratives in the media, right? That they that they that clearly certain media companies have certain agendas, and they they have a narrative, and anything outside of that narrative 
doesn't make it. it unless they can twist it, spin it, or turn it in a way that it fits the narrative, no airtime is dedicated to it. So, so, it, so we, we, we've gone through worldview. We've gone Even through... the evidence. There's like a specific curated amount of evidence that gets shared as well. Yeah, no. If I, I talk to people with certain ideologies, they're all pointing yeah, to the same... No, let's... Yeah, let's not get into that because then I'm going to have okay. to... Sh- like, then we're going to have to get in the conversation what constitutes a fact. And <laughs> there is so much bullshit flying around that is completely baseless... And, but that's science. No, that's not science. Do you know what science is? Do you know how science works? Do you know the scientific method? We did that in like, the last podcast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're not going to get into that. However, um, it, from the, so we've gone through worldview. We've gone through ideology. Let's look at narratives because, like I said, these are personal. Well, I okay. guess I did talk a little on this. But in, from the standpoint of, like, we talked earlier about the stories you create around an individual. The stories that you create around a particular type of an event, right? So these are, these are things that are actually more malleable. You're more likely to have an awareness of and change your narratives, okay? Um, like people may have a realization like, oh man, I thought you were this, or I thought you were saying this, or I thought you meant this, right? So there was already a narrative in place, but when confronted with co- something contradictory, there's a willingness and an ability to shift the narrative, right? Or really, it hasn't been validated, cemented. Exactly. It, has, it hasn't been re, it hasn't been fed back, fed back, fed back to the point mm-hmm. where it drops into ideology and worldview, where now it's like it's cemented. Very light in its density. Exactly. Being exactly. That exactly. But if it keeps getting reinforced, it be, again, the density goes up, the trickle down. <laughs> I, lo- I love all these metaphors I've created around... These distinctions, yes. So, so it, yes, it either gets more dense and so more difficult to deconstruct and to even recognize or to be aware of. I've even heard it described as like uh, layers of an onion. Like it gets solidified and it becomes something that you can build on top of. And in order to then unearth that that narrative or that worldview underneath, you need to sort of take everything else off that you've right built on top using right. it as foundation in order to even get to it and challenge it. And then right. when you can't put everything back the way that it was, right. It almost unearths your entire experience of world and your life altogether. Well, right. Up until that point, really. Right. And, and, and you can look at that as uh, from the standpoint of like, let's say back to the advertising, right? So an advertiser is telling you you're not enough, Right. And you've bought in, like, because, you know, the advertiser says, if you, if you don't have a Mercedes, you're not enough, right? And the advertiser says, if you don't wear these clothes, you're not enough. If you don't shop at these stores, you're not enough, right? So you've already got that layer of, I'm not enough. <laughs> and then something else comes along. It's not necessarily the same belief that I'm not enough, but it's like, I'm, I'm not smart. Or I'm stupid. Girls don't like me. Exactly. But it's, <laughs> it's built on that foundation of, I'm not enough. Right. Or, and then, and then girls don't like me or whatever. And so you start to layer all these things. Now at the foundation is I'm not enough without, I'm not enough. None of these things could have been stacked on top of it. Right. And so, yes, really, if you're, if you can't deconstruct your narratives, your ideologies and your worldview to the being able to see, okay, 
this has led to this, has led to this, has led to this. Because if you're not looking at it as all the layers that need to be peeled off, you can lose something, right? You can, again, not be aware, not be conscious. And that's, again, through practices, you know, like meditation, where you can really sit and still the mind for periods throughout the day or, you know, a couple times a week, whatever you can do. Just the practice of separating, separating your consciousness from those layers of interpretation, the matrix itself, right? So being able to just be being without these layers of interpretation, right? The, the matrix itself, being without the matrix, beyond the matrix, by taking moments to sit and be in that space without those layers of interpretation will allow you to see those layers. It will allow you to recognize, especially if in your meditation, you're intentional and in questioning. Like, let's say you had an experience that you're not entirely thrilled about. Well, then you look at what meaning did I give this event? Why did I give this event that meaning? Right. And so by sitting in meditation, right. And so sitting in meditation around these questions and separating yourself from those layers of the matrix and being able to dissect and pull apart and deconstruct and then reconstruct author. You have the power to author worldview, to author your ideology, to author the narratives. This is something that's being pushed for a lot in, uh, I don't know, mainstream culture, I'll call it. Just as a phrase that I have not heard people use before. Um, where they're talking about deconstructing systems, racism, uh, biases, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see it actually be adopted in a main way. The, the practice of deconstructing, ah. say, a bias. Or mm-hmm. why do I think this bias is bad? Right. Why do I think, <laughs> where did this bias come from? Did I right. adopt it? Did I create it? Instead right. of just going through like, oh, that's my bias. I need to go right. adopt their bias. Instead, right. And, and which that's is what generally you have. the conversation. Well, that's because what, you, what we're witnessing is polarization, right? So people are polarized by an ideology, by narratives, Right. And, and it's because of, again, it's because of those underlying layers of worldview and ideologies and narratives that you have about yourself. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a narrative that people who care about other people, they're Democrats, right? I mean, is that true? No, that's absolutely not true. Um, they wouldn't be burning down cities if that was necessarily Partially true. true. Some it may, it may people. be exactly. It <laughs> may be for certain individuals, but there's a narrative that I'm buying into Right. And same with like a Republican narrative of like, well, Democrats are communists. Is, is that true? You know, are all Democrats communists? And, but it's a narrative. So you polarize, you're like, well, I'm not a communist. I'm, you know, I'm a, I believe in freedom. So you polarize to an already existing narrative and an already existing ideology. You don't even question it. You're just like, well, I'm not like them. So I'm, I'm, I'm over here. Right. So that's part of it is that it's, shifts in one direction or another, like either it's 
polarizing with what you identify with, with, with what you relate to. So you're like, yeah, that's me over there. Or it's polarizing with the other side and go, yeah, this, this is me over here, but it's, there's no questioning. There's no dissecting like, well, wait a minute. Like, do I agree with all of this? Exactly. It's, it's, it, if you start, because what you're talking about is a practice of like, like really critical thinking, right? Like actually seeing it like, okay, there's a narrative here. There's an ideology here. I'm going to look at all that this is. I'm going to look at this narrative. I'm going, because at that point, you now become a free thinker. You're not, you're, you're not bound by an ideology you've adopted. That's just, I mean, think about it. This model has successfully written people's reactions to the world. They, it's, it's the, it's the furthest thing from choosing. It's the furthest thing from choice. It's, I like I have adopted, I've polarized with a set of automatic assumptions, a set of automatic reactions, a set of a way of thinking, a way of, of interpreting that I had no choice. I had no, I, I, I did not create it. I, there was no co-creative process. This was something authored outside of me that I've just adopted. And because of this, like, again, and this goes to the layers of worldview, to the layers of ideology that, well, I am not competent enough to think for myself. Again, this isn't necessarily a conscious thought people have, but by having that in your worldview, that I, that I need authority, I need someone to tell me that's what I'll buy, right? That's what I'll believe. That's what I'll participate in is because it came from on high, right? And, and what's, what even blo- what blows my mind the most is that the people on high are politicians, actors. Like, are you serious? What, Kim Kardashian says so? Like, really? This is, these are the people on high? They say it, so you buy it? Like, like I mean, I don't know. Again, this is my worldview, but it's pretty but well established. But they're not really are... on high. No, they're... Cogs in the wheel as well. Where did they get those ideas? They sure shouldn't but, make them up. Okay, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is okay. you put them on high. So you adopt uh, their ideology. I'm not saying they're on high. Definitely not. Politicians are some of the most incompetent people on the planet. In my opinion, that's my assessment. Uh, in no way true, but that's my assessment. Influencers now, less than like Kardashians and stuff. More of the, the cool channel you find I, whatever. on Instagram. I, I'm an old man. I I don't watch shit on Instagram. Okay. So, so yes, I'm sure that's true that like now it's Instagram and whatever else, Twitter, I guess people are getting their ideologies and their beliefs. And, and it's like, Oh, well this guy on Twitter, I never heard of this guy. Well, evidently 10 billion people have, and they all follow him and like, they all (laughs) listen to everything he says. And so again, they put these individuals up on high. And so whatever their opinion is, Oh, that's my opinion. Right. And because they've already, they've already projected on this person. And it's funny because it's, it's to see that it, it permeates Hollywood at such a deep level that, because these are people that, that the average individual places on a pedestal, right? People in Hollywood, actors, actresses, things like that. They, they hold them up like, Oh, they're amazing people. Like, Like, really? You're getting your political opinion from an actor from 
a basketball player. Like, look, basketball's great. I love to watch basketball. But because you make a billion dollars a year playing basketball does not mean your political opinion is worth shit. Like, in reality, you're, you're a basketball player. So pardon me if I question the political opinions of people who have nothing to do with politics. And again, I wouldn't even trust a politician's political view on something because they've definitely got something that they're an agenda, right? Based on their opinion. So, and this is the thing, we just unquestionably adopt all these ways of seeing things, all these ways of thinking of things from these people on high, right? They're not, again, there's no truth to them being any more an authority on anything than anyone else on this planet. In fact, and I would I've, say it's I've not heard... even on high all the time. No, it's, no. If you hear a friend say something and you agree with it, you adopt it. If right. You hear a family member say something. No, but you adopt no, no, it. no, no. In a movie, not you not adopt true. It. I will say you do hold that friend on high because there are certain friends that'll say something that, regardless of what they say, you won't adopt it. Right. I guess you do have to have a certain level of respect for them. Exactly. So, and that's the authority. So that's what I'm saying, right? You're not authoring for yourself. You see, there's an authority. So you, you, the authoring of your worldview of the narratives you live your life by, they're being written by someone else. And it's because of where you hold these people that you even accept their way of looking at things, their ideas, and you don't question or even try you just you just exactly you just adopt an entire way of thinking an entire way of interpreting the world an entire way of reacting i mean think about it really dude we've been doing that since we were born oh yeah absolutely all my like i remember being in my 20s or something like that and even still today i i'm constantly challenging the shit that i've adopted from my parents i'm Mm -hmm. like oh shit that sounds exactly like what my dad would say Right. Do I really want to keep doing that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, where did that act come from? Where did that thought process come from? I got to go then and acknowledge the presuppositions, the right. worldviews, the things that led to that response. This mm-hmm. is not something like we were saying just gets done in a day. No. Something that gets like instilled in watching one YouTube video. Mm-hmm. This is something where we're cherry picking either from mom and dad or who they've talked well about or a teacher or a series of teachers or friends peer pressure or just sheer bombardment of information and right. re- repetition over and over and over to just be like i mean yeah coca-cola is pretty good put it, in my, <laughs> put it in my rum you know right and i'll have that drink every time yeah like yeah. you've never heard of a pepsi and rum rum and pepsi <laughs> it's always a rum and coke well, if you've been a bartender, you've heard of it. <laughs> you have, but those people have already got their predispositions. <laughs> yeah. They're, well, they're they're just weirdos. Pepsi. Um, but in no, I'm not. So let's. I'm not going to get into rum and cokes. <laughs> give me the like the three levels that you just did, just to sum okay. up everything we just went through. Okay. So at the bottom, at the foundation, in the basement, we're going to call that worldview, and I summarize that as that's all inherited. There's, no necess- there's not necessarily any conscious awareness of any of the things you adopt as worldview. It's part of your culture. It's part of your family. It's part of your heritage, so to speak. You just, by the way people are being around you and by the way your society and culture functions, 
it gets written. Okay, so that's where the worldview gets authored, right? Is that it's such that's a fundamental level that there's not really any awareness or consciousness or any distinctions made of it, right? Like, for instance, in our culture, there's a certain distance you could be from a person and not make them feel anxiety or, 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 or nervous or whatever, right? We, we, call it, we call it our personal space, right? This is something that we don't necessarily have to make distinctions of and go, okay, well, this far is personal space or this far. It's just something written into us, right? So it's, it's at that, that worldview level that there's not even necessarily a conscious thought about, well, yeah, um, my personal space is about 18 inches. So if you could just back up about an inch and a half. No, it's not like that at all. It's completely, for the most part, like we do have the concept of personal space, but it's not something we consciously said it's this distance. And you know what I mean? Then there's the second level uh, of, of the matrix, we'll call it, is the ideological. Right? So in, at the level of ideology, there are, let's just call it, they're ideologies, whether you whether they're religions, whether they're philosophies, whether they're you know more more bitted pieces of, of thinking or ways of thinking, they're 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 in a group they're a group identif- they're identified and accepted by individuals, right? So like a religion, right? There are people who who adopt particular religions, and so that's a, that that. That is an ideology. And like I said, you can have, you can take Christianity and there's 10,000 groups of people who look at it in 10,000 different ways. But the, so each, you could call them all the ideology of Christianity, but in reality, each is distinct in that they have a different way of interpreting or giving meaning to the world or whatever. Okay. So, so the ideology that, is specific to the group. Yes or no? Because you could say, well, I, I'm, you could be. Like, let's say you live in a 100% Christian nation. You're like, well, I'm a Muslim. You know, so it's not necessarily the group around you. You just choose, you know, this philosophy or that philosophy. So I either look at the world this way or look at the world that way. But it's like, it, it, I, didn't, I didn't create it. Okay. It wasn't, it's not a, a story I generated. It's something that I've adopted that exists, right, in, in the world as a concept, as a, as an ideology. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying, it's like, I'm trying to give it another word, but it's ideology. So, so, you know, again, ideologies are philosophical. They are religious. They are, I mean, they're cultural. They're the society government. It's, I mean, government and types of government are ideologies, political beliefs, political systems are ideologies, right? So you have you found these truths to be self-evident. That's an, that's based on an ideological, yep. uh, come from a concept, right? Then you have on the very top, which are, be, are at first the most malleable, but the more they get reinforced, they solidify and become part of that core in the worldview. And those are your narratives. Narratives are the stories, the personal stories you tell yourself about. It's the, it's the meaning you give to otherwise neutral events and all events are neutral. Okay? So for instance, you know, somebody gives you feedback and you're automatic because of the the narrative you have that advertisers fed to you, I'm not enough. So when somebody gives you feedback, you translate it as criticism, right? So that's it. The narrative, the story about you. So it's not necessarily something you're aware or conscious of, but it's something that you've constructed personally. 
a story you have about other people, stories you have about yourself, stories you have about even systems of government. So there's like, for instance, there's the ideology of, of the Democratic Party and there's the ideology of the Republican Party, but your narratives, you have narratives about each party, right? So there's people who have a narrative that, oh, Republicans are fascist and oh, uh, Democrats are communists. Okay, so that that is an example of a narrative I have created around a political ideology. It's not necessarily true. It's just a story I run. And all of those layers, from worldview up through narratives, that is the matrix through which reality, consciousness, is filtered. And that's why you react to the world in the way that you react. And that's being, being stuck, being enslaved, bonded in the matrix is not being able to distinguish your consciousness, not being able to separate it from those layers of interpretation, right? So without, for one, without an acknowledgement, without a recognition, without being able to separate yourself from the worldview, the ideologies, and the narratives, there's no awareness and consciousness. There's no power to react, feel, the meaning you give, the interpretations you have. It's all automatic. You're just functioning like a machine. And that's really how... Those, those aspects of you, that worldview, that, those narratives, that, those ideologies, they start to operate like a machine. Tick, 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 and it's just automatic, right? An event occurs, bam, reaction. Event occurs, bam, reaction. Event occurs, bam, reaction. That's in the matrix, right? You're stuck. Let me stuck. ask you this. The matrix in, I'm looking at the difference between a newborn experiences reality versus you know say even a 10 year old or someone that you know i can think back to times when i was 10 years old and i'll remember those moments for the rest of my life skiing i remember skiing when i was 10 years old on my 10th birthday Mm -hmm. but being 10 days old no memory like (laughs) i'm sure there is but i can't think what i was doing on the 10th day of my life right and i wonder and this is the question to you, if the, the matrix of all those layers that you just went through, mm-hmm. if that's necessary for really navigating the world, for interpreting the world, to being effective in the world, to remembering experience. Okay, so I'm going to separate it from remembering for a moment, and I'll get to okay. memory in a second. Is it necessary? No. Is it useful and effective? Yes. And, and that's why authoring it becomes so powerful because for one, like I said at the beginning, you couldn't operate in society if you completely eliminated all worldview, all narratives, all ideologies, you'd be oceanic. You wouldn't even communicate. You know, you'd be just, like a newborn. Exactly. Just You're soaking just, in a experience. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you'd be pure consciousness. Right now, you may still have a physical body and wander around and whatever, but people are like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know, kind of steering you around because you're just, you're oceanic. He doesn't have a narrative yeah. about the, the streets and jaywalking. Exactly. And exactly. He has no <laughs> narratives, no worldviews. So the street doesn't have meaning, right? Crosswalks mm-hmm. don't have meaning. Cars don't have meaning, right? So, yes, they are useful <laughs> in that you can navigate the world through 
the matrix. So, and, but is it necessary? No, you could wander around oceanic and, you know, you probably won't last very long if you don't have people around you kind of watching out for you, but it is, I'm sh- I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure it's even been done. Um, and, you know, like you look at these dudes who sit in meditation for 30 years in a cave, like, where are you at at that point? <laughs> you know? And, uh, so I, I, again, I'm sure, I'm sure it's been done. Not something I would def, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend. However, the power is in those moments. And that's why I think in so many philosophical traditions and religious traditions, it's the moments of this experience that are so powerful, like the Satori, mm-hmm. right? Is that boom, you have that moment where you completely are outside of your belief systems, you know, the worldview, the narratives, the ideologies, they're all like, you see them for what they are. You're like, oh shit. This is why I am the way I am. This is why I do the things I do. This is why I act the way I act. So you, you're able to separate yourself from them and see them, right? So now this goes into memory, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. segue here because I would it's say just to slightly different to attach on to the end of that, that it just even understanding the difference, instead of even right. separating, but even noticing right. the distinctions between um, all aspects of the matrix. So where something's going on, you can choose to interpret it through the matrix or see it for what it is. Right. Be with the experience of it. And when it's over, then go filter and see what it was all about. Right. Like, so for example, I was actually on a phone call the other day and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, sometimes I hover around that consciousness of like complete separation, but you know, I'm having a conversation, so I'm not completely, but you know, the nature of the conversation and where we were going with it, there was a moment where I was separated, you know, and, and again, these, like I had no necessarily had had, cause, cause now it's got kind of stuck with me, but I had no necessarily a, a, a distinct memory of, you know, like you have defining events. Like you remember your 10th birthday, but could you recall every single day, every single minute, every single hour of your 10th year on this planet? No, not even every minute or hour of my 10th birthday. Okay, exactly. I don't How, remember where I now, woke up. Now, here's the thing. We did. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> you could recall it. You may have yeah. no memory of it now, but you could recall it. And and it's like I've noticed in, in that going into that beyond the matrix state, you have access to everything, every experience you've ever had. All of a sudden, in this conversation I'm having with this person on the phone, I'm recalling like Every aspect of like, from when I was, God, how old was I when we moved out of there? Well, I was like about 10 years old. So I'm taking <laughs> my, like literally the, my entire environment and all the events occurring around me at like 10, 11 years old. I'm like, I remember every single neighbor on my street. I, re- I mean, literally all their names. They're, if you'd have asked me 10 minutes before that, like name all the people on the street you lived on when you were 11. You know, I'd be like, uh, Tammy, uh, Shan. Like I, I could name like maybe three or four people. I was, I did the whole street. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and then like, as I'm talking to this person, I'm like, I'm bringing up all this stuff that wasn't present as part of my memory, but I had complete recall of this part of my life. Like I remember everything about school at that age. I remembered every friend I had, all their names, like what they looked like. Like I'm like, well, dude, I mean, these aren't things I've thought about. Like, 
you know, I'm not necessarily give it away here how old I am, but I'm pretty old. And this is a long time ago. And to have complete recall of this part of my life in this moment, I was just like blown away by like, and even the person on the phone's like, wow, you remember all that? I'm like, I, I didn't like 10 minutes ago. I couldn't have told you any of this, but it was like, whoosh. I kind of slipped into that state where it's like, you have access. You have access to everything you've ever experienced. Now, in, in comparison in, or in contrast to your experience of like, yeah, I remember my 10th birthday. But again, you remember the 10th birthday because it was eventful. It, it is written into worldview and narratives that are present with you now. So it's right. relevant, right? So it's, it's on recall. You could, you could call up your 10th birthday because it's like it's in some way your worldview, the narratives you live your life by are rooted in something that occurred that day, right? And so, and so we do have these events throughout our lives. And for some people, it starts much earlier. And for some so people- they are important to memory, to recall, not to recall, uh, but to- I, I wouldn't say it, having any memory is necessarily important. You know, again, it's like that oceanic, like no, no, when you're no, that oceanic, you there's no memory. Like, to remember something like you were just talking about. Right. The memory oh, can help needs you to deconstruct. be relative. Right. Well, uh, it the, needs to be relative to a an ideology or a narrative or something that's relevant today. Is what you just said, right? Uh, I don't. Okay. If that's what I said, let me reword it. It doesn't okay. need to be relevant, but it it is in some way rooted in narrative. So I, I'm not saying there's a like a complete narrative. So it's not narrative. necessary, but it it's yeah. To be like if you rooted. yeah, if you completely forgot your tenth birthday, you're not necessarily free of whatever narrative it was feeding into. Right. Or if the narrative was gone, would I still remember my tenth birthday? More than likely. Mm, uh, yeah, it depends. Well, again, it depends on the layers of significance because it may be more than one thing. I mean, let's. I guess even all those memories that. are collected and maintained and utilized in the same operations of narratives and worldviews and stuff. Because they I wouldn't all say, contribute to the worldview. Right. Worldview. But, but, but here's the thing. I don't want to make it out like, like that's like as if it's funny because we've been using the, the analogy and the, and the metaphors of the machine. It is not separate. It is, it is, it isn't that necessarily that separate, but it is, it is not causal, okay? Right. So it is, it is related, like you said, there is a relationship most likely to a worldview, to a narrative, to maybe even to an ideology, but there's, it, it's, it's relevant in the sense that it contributes to the filters, the matrix itself, right? Which is that worldview, ideologies, and narrative. It is in some way, shape, or form a part of it but not a not not a necessity necessarily, not a not a cause of necessarily. Like or again, a symptom of exactly because like let's say on that day again. I'm just making I'm an example. I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to uh, insinuate that, that that it has that, that that this is necessarily what the tenth birthday means for you. Let's say on your tenth birthday you had an experience of someone saying something to you that hurt you deeply and made you think less of yourself. 
Okay. So now remember, you've been programmed through advertisements for your entire life that you're not enough. <laughs> okay. So, but, but however, not having a Mercedes isn't as significant as that event on your 10th birthday for you. Again, not to say that that's causal and that's the only reason that you have that narrative of not being enough. There are so many aspects to it and some of them you may have absolutely no memory of. Remember, it was the feedback loop. It reinforces the belief, but doesn't necessarily stick around, right? The birthday is stuck around, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's causal to any aspect of this, of the matrix itself. So it. So I, my interpretation was that they were, uh, like you said, in relationship, that they were right. relevant to each other. My experience on the tenth birthday is relative to a worldview or something else that I have. Not necessarily that they have to, right? But that I'm noticing correlations that they are, right? And I'm like, and interesting. Now I can see how the experience on my tenth birthday, right, was. At a high le- higher level of emotional impact or a higher level of being remembered or significance, really, mm-hmm. because of the worldviews and narratives that are relative, relevant to me now. Like, just, just to give you some clarity on this, I, like, being raised as a kid, my parents didn't give me meat, dairy, eggs, uh, even white processed sugar until when I was 10 years old. My mom let me have a cup of hot chocolate on my birthday skiing. And she said, you can have uh, sugar once every decade, right? <gasps> and so I'm like, wow, my first time having sugar. And oh, I drank God. it down and it at stuck. 10, at 10. At 10. Yeah, so it was like you were on <laughs> cocaine the whole day. <laughs> but that well, ties into a narrative ski! that I had. Like it's been a big part of my experience growing up being the kid that didn't have any like meat, dairy, sugar, whatever else. Right. Or the kid that was different or the kid that had packed lunches. And then getting into my 20s and being like, thank God for that. I contribute my health to like my parents being so diligent with food and all these other things. Mm. To then going on and being like, well, I actually didn't do such an awesome job. (laughs) (laughs) I actually am finding a better way to eat and contribute to my health nowadays. But it was better than like, you know, McDonald's every day. Right. Or something oh, like that. yeah. So Absolutely. like my entire worldview around health and food and diet and all of that stuff is absolutely relative mm-hmm. to or relevant to that one experience when I was a kid. Right. So I'm like, it's not that if, if I didn't have any worldview around food and health that I wouldn't remember that birthday. Right. It was like being hopped up on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Skiing I can imagine a 10 year old who's never had sugar drinking yeah. some hot chocolate, which is like double whammy because it's also chocolate. You know, yeah. it's chocolate yeah. and Caffeine sugar. And sugar. <laughs> um, but I can see how they contribute to each other, which was the right. point. Yes. So I'm like, they're not really separate. Right. The worldview, the narratives that I have, and the memories I have from them, because I couldn't tell you where I woke up, what ski resort we went to, what we ate for food. All I remember is hot chocolate. skiing <laughs> and hot chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom's face and what she said to me. Like that moment really burned into my mind. 
Right. Because it's been referenced over and over and over throughout the years of my young adulthood and into, you know. Right. Which, okay. So again, there's another layer there to significance because it was an, a memorable event for mom. So she's mentioned it, which it's feedback, right? It's that feedback loop. Mom mentions it. And then a couple of years later, sister mentions it. And then a couple of years later, you mention it. And then, so it's feed, it's constantly feeding back. So mm-hmm. it's polarized, right? The more that event is, is, is projected at the consciousness, it becomes polarized, right? So the, definitely the more you talk about a past event, it's funny because if it, there may be events of your life that are talked about by people in your family that you have no memory of, but it's like, it's all of a sudden, it's like it's a defining feature because you've been told the story. Everyone else remembers it, but you, you know? And it was like, did and you remember I've that time? Kind of have memories of it. Like right. I've got memories like people are bringing up, oh, remember that one time when you were one? And I'm like, nope. And then <laughs> the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. Now I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Right. Just like I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You've heard the story enough now that, oh yeah, Yeah. it's like a memory. Um, So again, I've not to, not to minimalize those events that kind of do get burned in because I I just don't want to, I, what I don't want to create is a correlation of, of it being causal necessarily. Um, Because like I said, there may be layers to an event and there may be, more reasons than one that it's been polarized. Like, like we just mentioned of it being repeated over and over and over again within family or whatever else. It's just like, well, you can't get away from it. It's like we talk about it every Christmas, you know? So yeah, that, that may be some, uh, a something. And like you said, you've now associated it with health and well, and your, your choices of eating and health and well-being and everything else. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's causal or even con- a contribution to your worldview or narratives around how you eat. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's definitely significant for me. It It could be, and it may be something. And if, well, let's not get into validating because nobody needs validation of their world. It's, it's, it's it's happening. Um, That's why it's worldview. It's why it's a narrative. It's like uh, constantly being validated by your filters. Right. But let's look at it from the standpoint of like, if you do have something like that, a a polarizing event, if you're in the space of like, I am deconstructing my worldview, I am getting outside, I want to get, I want to free myself from the matrix. I want to get beyond the matrix. I want to author my being and my reaction to the world. I want to, you know, I want to shift this space around. So taking those polarizing events may uh, support you in dissecting your worldview and your narratives that drive you and the ideologies that drive you. Because you can say, like, okay, why is this such a polarizing event? And so it, it, it's, it's, the same, it's getting outside of yourself. You know, this, in the same methods that we talked about earlier with like meditation, contemplative prayer, like there, there are many ways of approaching like that separating consciousness from the matrix, those, those layers, the, the worldview, the ideologies and, and the, and the narratives by separating, you know, and then taking something like a polarizing event and looking at it with new eyes, because if you can separate yourself from the matrix, from the worldview from the narratives, then you can see something from a new space 
completely different. So now it's not, it doesn't, it no longer has the meaning that you've been giving it. So like you can even see that like you, part of you wants to contribute like, oh, well, this event is created this worldview over here. Dude, that event, you already have worldviews about the event. Like, <laughs> like it's <laughs> like you like there's layers to this construction you've created and this construct of, of the matrix is so deeply layered. It's that onion. Like you see it as like, oh, it's the core. No, no, no. It's like layer eight, you know? And so, <laughs> and so that, that event itself, if you could get outside of your worldviews of the event, outside of the meaning you gave the event and the stories you've made up about the event, well, now you can look at this event in a completely different way. And in a new Tell me way. what you mean by that, getting outside your worldview. Okay, so for, for one, like you, you gave that event meaning, right? You said, well, it's because I never had sugar and it was my mom and the look on her face. Like you even gave the look on her face meaning. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, so there are so many layers of meaning that you've given this event when you can identify like, oh, that's shit I'm making up, <laughs> you know, like, like, boom, that's a belief. That's a belief. That's an interpretation. That's just like if getting outside of the worldview, getting outside of the matrix is seeing it with no meaning, seeing it with no belief about it, seeing it with no story about it. It's just seeing about, it for what it is. What about seeing the difference between the event and the beliefs about it, the interpretations of it? That well, that's, is that the same? Yes, because you're okay. That's what I'm saying. You're seeing the event without any of that. So yes, you've separated it. You've separated the meaning. You've separated the, gotcha. the all of that. The stories you've told yourself about it, and like like I said, you could do it in pieces. Like you could like take look on mom's face and the hot chocolate and the skiing and the you know what I mean. You could start to really deconstruct every aspect of that and pull out all the meaning and everything. And when you can look upon it without all the meaning you gave it, it, it there may be something else for you there. There may be a, a deeper level of meaning that you, again, that you author. None of the meaning you've given that event is true. But if that, if the meaning that you are able to decipher from this, you feel isn't serving you in a positive way, you can reconstruct the meaning of this event. And now it, now it has a different impact on you. Like I said, let's say the 10th birthday was a, a very negative experience where you made up th you know, negative things about yourself and, and things about other people. And you know what I mean? Like now when you're deconstructing and you realize, well, like that's, that's not necessarily so. That's not necessarily so. Let's pull off all the meaning I gave to the event because the event is completely neutral. And all I did was interpret, 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 right? So all the streaming, <laughs> let's go back to our matrix slide. All the right, streaming, yes, slide. all the streaming, that's just the information, right? It's just information. But you gave every single character and every single line meaning, right? And so when you're able to separate the raw data, right, the event free of any story about it, any meaning, then you're able to reconstruct meaning around it if so if, for me that was the the big thing that i was thinking with being free of the matrix is not necessarily operating without worldview or operating without the narratives but simply knowing the difference so mm -hmm. that you can experience the events 
mm -hmm. what they are, right, and experience the worldview, the narratives, because right. all of that stuff is changeable. Right. Because yes. I don't really think we can completely disconnect and see things with that you, worldview. I mean, you can. It's, and you, you can. can. Have, you can have moments of it. And like I said, it's probably even possible for someone to walk around in that oceanic-like consciousness all the time. I wouldn't recommend it. You don't want to be there all the time <laughs> uh, because it becomes very difficult to have any kind of interpersonal relationship because you, I mean, if you were truly right, yeah. in or that space, you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't converse. You would have, there's no language, right? There's, yep. there's no interpretation. It's purely experiential without yep. any meaning, right? It's, and that's why I compare it to the newborn because that's the newborn. It's just, you know, it's just, it's oceanic. It's like, there's no meaning. They, they're, they're not distinct from the world around them. You know, they're just like in this experience and it has no meaning and it ha you know, it, ha it has, there, there's no judgment, right? There's no filter. It's just taking it all in, you know? And so it, it it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a profound feeling to be in that space. And that's why it's been attributed and so talked about in so many traditions. And it's always like this, it's even a state that people aspire for, right? So like, like earlier you brought up Nirvana. Why? Well, I didn't want to bring up Nirvana because Nirvana is, is the, is like being in that state, right? Whereas Satori is like a moment, which is realistically for, you know, human beings being human in the world a moment of that is probably a lot more <laughs> beneficial and useful for you in a social environment. Now, if you've been sitting in a cave for 30 years, yeah, go Nirvana. Because what are you doing? <laughs> you're just sitting in a cave. You're, just, you're not interacting. Like, what's, the, uh, what's the opposite of Nirvana? It's not really the opposite, but it's, it's a similar like state. But you instead of going so far in, you reach Nirvana, you go so far out, and it's a similar experience. Well, it's interesting because Nirvana actually means to blow out. Right. Hmm. So it's, uh, I would say it is going out. Um, it's, and what's the going in version? <laughs> uh, I, 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 are you talking about Buddhism in particular? I don't know if it within yeah, the, I don't remember. Okay. The I was Institute, say, somebody was like, Oh man, you went so far out. You go, but he's like, I've gone so far in that I hit Nirvana. He's like, that's when you see like everything in, in the biggest or you see everything in the smallest. It's like it's two ends so, of the so same mi spectrum. microcosmic and macrocosmic. So right. yeah, I've had an experience like that as well, where you're experiencing the microcosmic and macrocosmic all together as one. But I kind of like, is that like to make a distinction as of, well, my Satori was better than yours. You know, like, I'm like, eh, I don't nah. know. I think you're just drawing distinctions from the experience that he's drawing distinctions from the experience that you weren't drawing from your experience. Like, well, I yes, would wonder if experience there is... is personal and everyone will have their, remember, as soon as you go to interpret the experience, it's all bullshit. It's, it's interpretation. You're <laughs> already applying worldview beliefs. Like, eh, like you can't, you cannot convey experience to someone and for them to know the experience. You could talk about it. Words are symbols. They represent and the best they can do is give you an idea, but it cannot convey the experience itself. So you're assuming because of the words that this guy used to show, he's talking about in and I felt out and like, dude, these, these are words. Like his experience of in may be your experience of out. So like, 
like, again, these are distinctions that I'm like, ah, I ain't going to give much credence to this because it's personal. It's personal. It's experiential. Yeah. People know when they've had this type of an experience, how they describe, I told you when you come out of the experience, try describing it. Ask him. It becomes foolish. You're like, uh, 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 like you can't describe it. You can't <laughs> describe it so that somebody gets it. You know what I mean? I was like, actually you, you able do your to best. paint it once. And that was great for you. But if I looked at the painting, I'd be like, what the, you know, like it doesn't necessarily have any meaning to me. I'd be like, okay, yeah. It was pretty awesome. Gingy, you were smoking dope, it looks like. Like, so it's not necessarily, yeah, it may be the perfect representation for you that that symbol somehow embodies the experience, but you're not conveying the experience with that painting. Now, here's the thing about art. You do convey experience. Well, I should say you impart experience or Gosh, this is a tough word. What do I want to say here? You provide a medium for people to draw experience from, right? So people have- the memory of the experience. No, 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 not necessarily. You've expressed something, but what people get from it is not necessarily what you expressed. I see what you mean. You see what I'm saying? Like, I may look at a painting and like, wow, like this is amazing. Like the experience I'm having in, in this painting or in this piece of poetry, it's profound. Like, like there's music that I'm drawn to that to me is profound and it's meaningful. But if like, I play that same music to someone else, this is lame. Can we change it? You know what I mean? Like it's profound to me. It's meaningful. It's significant, but it's because it, it's because of the interpretation, the meaning through my matrix. God, I got to stop hitting the microphone. The, my meaning that I give it through my matrix, right? So it's, it's significant to me. So mm-hmm. that's why when we had the conversation last week, when, you know, we brought up truth, you know, and it's like, okay, well, truth is in that. It, so we'll say truth is reality is consciousness. And then all those layers of interpretation, what we're calling worldview, narrative, and ideologies, those distort the truth. That's what they do. They filter. And because all you can do to convey in, com- in through communication is use symbols like words, right? That all you can do is symbolically represent something, which does not ever convey the experience. Even and 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 your experience is even distorted because it's there's there's layers between the reality consciousness and the experience itself, and that's the that's the matrix. So even your experience like you said i went out and he's like i will next time try going in you guys are probably talking about the same thing but (laughs) well no he was drawing a line saying that there were two different states and he said one is the micro one is the macro really i've had both you knew the difference yeah no i've had i've had both so simultaneously (laughs) there's the again it's 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 experiential for me what i was experiencing in the moment was microcosmic and macrocosmic Right. So there was no distinction and there wasn't like, oh, well, now I'm going to go over here. Now I'm going to go there. No, it was one experience. Okay. So it, and again, that's, I'm now interpreting at that moment. I, I was interpreting in this moment. I'm interpreting. I would say some of those, the most profound spiritual experiences for people is when that matrix is kind of vaporized. That's when the, you have the most profound experiences. But as soon as I come back to this world and try to explain it to you, it becomes meaningless. You're not, you're not, I don't care how eloquent 
my use of the English language is. I cannot convey that experience to you. So it, because it's, again, language itself is merely symbols. And to even start to express it, I had to come back into the matrix. I can't express it out there. I can't even talk when I'm out there. You know what I mean? Talking becomes meaningless. So yeah. it's, it, it's, so it's like, and then you come back, you're back in the matrix. Uh, like, that's why it's so funny when people are on psychedelics, because they're having these profound experiences and then listen to them talk. They sound like a bunch of idiots, you know, because <laughs> so, they're trying to explain <laughs> this profound experience that they're having, but you can't, you can't explain it. You cannot convey that experience in words. Actually, so, the first time I tried to explain my first time eating mushrooms to somebody, <laughs> I was like, man, it's amazing. It's like everything breathes. And they're like, okay, why is that cool? <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, touche. Uh, I guess I can see how that's not really it's, important. <laughs> it, yeah, it doesn't sound that cool right now. At the, at the time, it was super cool, right? Um, yeah. And, my and dog I, kept looking at me like, <laughs> It's what dogs do. Like, <laughs> no, but this was different, right? Everything's so profound, you know. And yeah. and but again, it's in the experience. It is. It is deeply profound. And really, how much is worldview, presupposition, all that stuff present for people in psych on psychedelics, DMT no, or ayahuasca or mushrooms or even acid or whatever? Even in satori, like. And, and I'm, I'm using it as a general term and not necessarily as a, let's say, you know, a, a practitioner of Chan or Buddhism or Zen or anything else. Satori is a concept, right? A boop, mm -hmm. moment of enlightenment. Now, if you're a Zen master and you've been practicing all your life to, you know, to do the things that you feel are going to get you there. When it occurs, you're like, that was it. That was Satori. But when it occurs for other people, like I said, it depends on your worldview. See, the Zen master, he's already got a worldview, right? He's, he's got Buddhism, you know, and, and really, whether he realizes it or not, because he's in the practice of Zen or Chan, let's say it is that, that those ideologies are at work as well. Well, there's also elements of Taoism in there, and there's elements of Confucianism in there. So there's, there's really, there's many, and really, if you look back behind Buddhism, there's elements of Hinduism. So it's, there all, all those there's mixed in all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and, and it's giving you your interpreters. It's your matrix, right? So the Zen master's matrix ain't the same as the Christian guy growing up in Utah, right? He's going to say, oh my God, I think I'm God, right? Or Jesus, I'm Jesus. You know, like he's going to have a different experience because his worldview and how he interprets that experience is going to be different. Because yeah. of the layers, the matrix, it's there. Like I said, when he was outside the matrix, there were no words. There was just this experience, right? But then he came back, right, into the matrix, and he tries to verbalize, and he's all, I'm Jesus Christ. And everyone's like, whoa, dude, like, <laughs> you sure about that? Uh, let's keep that on the DL, okay? Um, because, again, even the people around him have a certain way of interpreting if somebody says yeah i'm jesus christ like, like okay you know again in hindu culture you i'm the brahman i'm, I'm vishnu i'm shiva they're like okay yeah congratulations you figured it out Duh. way to go yeah like this idiot you know <laughs> of course you are you know but uh, because of the worldview there's a, there's already in place different motives different worldview 
a different way of looking at the world and interpreting the world with each of these individuals that we're talking about, that they take the same exact experience and they and have a completely different story about it because the story, you couldn't tell the story without your matrix being involved. It, it, bleh, it comes out of it. It's, it's, it's formed by it. It's fabricated by it. And that's why there's such profound power in rewriting, authoring, deconstructing, and reconstructing your matrix because it gives you a whole new place to work from in communicating, in reacting to the world. That's why it's such a powerful and imp- the hell are you? Did you turn audio on? Am I getting no, feedback on myself? Just a little feedback for a second. I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> so it's in that, you know, in that space of interpretation, the matrix is always there. It, you, you're, if you're interpreting, you're in the matrix there to be out of the matrix, you have to free yourself from all those layers of, in, of interpretation. Because, I mean, by definition, in this conversation, that is the matrix. <laughs> you couldn't articulate. You couldn't communicate. You couldn't uh, symbolize an experience without it. Right? And so that's why... I wonder I, in, what symbols they actually used in this matrix writing we've got on the screen. <laughs> it's frozen for me right now, and I just started looking at it, and I'm like... Uh, wow, I'm like... yeah, and again, I'm I'm pretty sure that's not even necessarily from the movie itself. That's uh, someone made that, up some yeah. That's like, like Japanese it's, characters. It's like the Matrix, um, but I mean, it might be. I I wasn't really looking no, that it's closely at the totally symbols. Made up. All, all I saw was blonde brunette. <laughs> so. Alrighty, yeah. Oh damn. Okay, well, yeah, we went we went long on this one. Yeah. Alrighty. So, uh, some nation. What do you got? Let me let me hear you wrap it all together. I feel like I've so, I've given I've given my some nation. I've given rap. my interpretations. Yes, I'm <laughs> I've I'm tapped. I've given it all. I've given it all I got. What do you got? Um, let's see. To sum to sum it up, um, I think there's lots of layers to the matrix. I don't think an individual can really exist let alone thrive without it it's almost like in my experience a necessity for like egoic consciousness which is what majority what? of people what wait, 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 wait. a what consciousness I didn't, i'm not egoic. familiar with the term oh egoic okay i thought you said egoic yeah. what is that i'm like this is egoic. a state of consciousness i never heard of ego like I've, heard of, I've heard of that yeah i've heard of egoic <laughs> yeah so the like Really, like what we were talking about in the, one of the last podcasts, where you know, the sensory information that's coming into the brain is somewhere up in the millions or billions, and it's mm-hmm. cut down to like 2,000 max. Right, right. And that is the spotlight, egoic, focused, conscious awareness. Right. And besides getting into like remote viewing or seeing ghosts and shit or telekinesis or telepathy like any extrasensory perception stuff besides getting into that or even really getting into like alternative states of of, of awareness with with the brain that is all of an individual's experience minus those things mm-hmm. so 
ego and egoic awareness and that 2000 bits of information is more or less all we know. That's to operate without, like, you don't need worldview to grow your hair or to beat your heart or to even breathe and think thoughts. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Worldview could affect the beating of your heart. Well, I'd put money on it. (laughs) (laughs) I, as far as I know, uh, a specific worldview could have you manipulate it and even take control of it. Like you could just choose to stop breathing. Right. Well, think about this. Let me, uh, again, I don't really want to get to do because uh, this is the wrap up. However, this is food, food for thought, Gingy. What if you remember we were talking about that default where you come back to, what if it's like a high level of stress? Like everything stresses you out when you're not stressed. That's rare occasion, right? And it's, you're always stressed about everything. And you're always in a hurry and you're always in a rush. Couldn't that affect your heartbeat? Potentially. And, that, and you're only stressed because of the worldview. What do you mean? Potentially. I guess not hypertension. Well, not Isn't hypertension a, like. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not always that way. I'm sure that somewhere in the world someone exists. I, I didn't say always. Stressed. I didn't I didn't say always. I just said, said that's the I'd way put, it is. I'd put money on it that your worldview could affect your heartbeat. That's all I said. I said I'd put money on it that your worldview could affect okay. your heartbeat. Let me be more accurate here because what I'm speaking to is you could affect your heartbeat, your your thoughts, your breathing, but if you're completely ignored, it's gonna go on happening anyway. You don't need worldview for it to happen. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. The, the, the heart will beat even in the oceanic state, like the newborn. It's got a beating heart and it has no nest. It has no worldview at that point. Mm -hmm. Depending on how many minutes old it is. (laughs) All right. So really the, uh, the matrix is not something that's necessary but something that is immensely valuable and useful as far as operating at well, this level of consciousness. It, 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 here's the thing. Am I if in a summation you, or what? It, it, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got I to chime in. I got to chime in. So it is, it is useful if you're aware of it and you intentionally and consciously author it to be effective for you, Right. Because it could be extremely detrimental. It could be extremely bad for your health. It could be extremely, like, so it's, it, it, if what, by what you mean by effective is, is, is like, you know, like thriving, moving towards thriving in life or moving towards success in life or moving towards uh, a, a sensation or, or sense of, of, of completion or, or, uh, uh, completeness uh so it it, functioning functioning in the world right functioning getting the food you need to get getting the having relationships okay so yes engaging with the world paying your taxes (laughs) it's necessary and i'm not gonna say necessary it's effective for things like that it can be detrimental it can be extraordinarily powerful and empowering but it's it's keep wanting to say necessary it's damn near necessary <laughs> to because i'm looking at it it's it's effective because if you're 
if you cut out all that worldview and stuff, you are like a newborn oceanic and just sitting there taking it in. Mm-hmm. Someone's like, hey, man, don't forget to pay your taxes. You're going to be like, ah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> However, if you've got any level or layers of, of worldview presuppositions to the point where like maybe you are depressed all day, every day. Maybe right. you are contemplating taking your life or you're paralyzed and staying inside. You're still able to function no matter how painful and ineffective you're functioning. It's functioning. It'll have you lasting longer than wandering aimlessly through the streets. <laughs> what I'm saying. Or well, not okay, now, 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 But here's the thing. Now we're assuming that somebody in that oceanic, free from worldviews, free from the matrix consciousness is wandering what if they're just sitting <laughs> what if they're just laying there then i mean they're in pretty good shape there ain't nothing so realistically i have no real accurate way to expect what somebody in that state would do what they would look like i just know that it would be vastly different than the majority of all people that i've met operating on. so i assume they would be sitting around you know, like they're stoned out of their mind or just falling asleep all the time because <laughs> they don't know the difference between a dream and waking consciousness. You know, that's, it, it reminds me of that, that Ted talk, the, uh, that they, that I watched, um, at the Monroe Institute where they, the, this lady got a, a brain aneurysm or uh, mm-hmm. something like that in her, in her left hemisphere of her head. And it went off and you can, you can, I think go on YouTube and search for like left brain, right brain, Ted talk. I forget what the lady's name, is. but she's basically describing how in her left brain, logical thought process, this thing goes off and it shuts down the left hemisphere of her brain. And all of a sudden she's in like pure ecstasy and she can't tell the difference between the atoms of her hands and her atoms of walls and stuff. And, and it's just like immense oneness and euphoria and just this bliss that's overcome. And then her left brain kicks back on and she goes, oh my God, I'm having a stroke or something, a seizure. I don't know what's going on, but I need medical attention. I need to go call 911. And she runs over to the phone. As soon as she grabs the phone, left brain shuts back off and she can't tell the difference between atoms anymore. And she's blissing out and and, and all this ecstasy again. And it was that back and forth. And she started to explain like the role of the left brain me being completely fundamental and necessary for navigation to know the difference between things to draw distinctions like that to Uh um to have a linear thought process and go call a number and know what numbers are and and all of that stuff Uh so i'm like in that sense i could imagine being completely euphoric and blissed out without having any left brain ego type of thought process going on and at the same time i'm like if having that is necessary in my mind to to really well, having to people having an aneurysm <laughs> having the left brain up and running and functioning and stuff oh and and well, engaging uh, with people uh, and all this. so let me finish okay. this up okay i, I don't so want to get where i'm going with this is that for me, the power in the matrix and in getting beyond the matrix and all of that, it, it lies within the ability to choose. 
the ability to put that left brain, the logical thought, the the narratives and the worldviews and all that stuff, put it in the passenger seat to observe and letting other consciousness experience the experience without it. And being able to tell the difference, oh, wow, that's my, um, my judgments. Or, oh, wow, that's just pure stimulus. I know that's still borderline. I'm making up the story that this is pure stimulus <laughs> and that well, this is And you're making up the story that the, that the brain is causal in, in the nature of consciousness. There's nothing to do with the brain. The brain yeah. is that, like, again, if, if reality is consciousness, right? The brain is an apparatus. Like, rather than looking at... It's like the, a receiver. The fail, exactly. Rather than looking at the failing in the brain as a function of what's causing a state of consciousness, look at the state of consciousness as causing what's occurring in the brain. You know, the, the, and most likely, consciousness is at the, is at the level of cause. And probably nothing else. Like if, if that's reality, if that's the nature, the foundation of reality is consciousness, well, then it is causal. And the brain, right. it's just an apparatus. It's like, a, it's like your radio tuner. Oh, wow, that's showing my age. There's no such thing as radio tuners anymore. So just like all the radio stations in the room, right? But you've got a tuner and you tune it in. The brain's just that. It's a tuner. Right? It's got but a... That's it's got, to differentiate the difference between consciousness and the brain. Well, I'm saying that's where that's how the consciousness can connect to the brain and convey information. And really, I don't want to say consciousness, let's say mind. Because I I'm, I, may, I I think I want to make a distinction here between mind and consciousness. And mind, which is ethereal, we'll say it's it's non-physical, can feed into the brain through the same apparatus that a radio uses. You know, it's, but rather than looking at the brain as causal, because I find that I, I almost find that as a ridiculous concept at this point. Like, even though I know materialistic, mechanistic worldview, it's, oh, yeah, it's all brain chemicals. And that's what, you know, no, nah, I ain't buying that. Um, it but just, what it's, if the brain and something happening to it or, you know, stimulus from outside the brain shifts channels, which is really all I'm really talking about left brain, right brain is mm-hmm. the experience of total unity and euphoria versus the total the experience of individuality and linear thought. I'm not saying that the brain is causing the experience. I'm saying right. that the brain is now, and, and really it's irrelevant to talk about the brain's function in this process. Exactly. Because <laughs> the ultimate point that I'm trying to get to with this is that in mastering the understanding or maximizing effectiveness with matrix and this whole conversation we've just had is to know the difference and be able to choose or even intentionally author the worldviews, the presuppositions, the matrix itself, and being able to say, I'm going to pause that and just experience. And I I don't even really think that's as necessary in the world today to just experience, but to at least know the difference and choose what you what you experience in the world, what you feel mm-hmm. about the world, what how you define the world, how you engage with the world mm-hmm. instead of the automatic of really perpetuating the shit that's going on in the world. 
Right. And like, if, if you're a person that takes up any type of offense or like the world isn't the way it should be, then this would be a very powerful tool because it's not the world that's going to change because of the opinions of a single individual or even <laughs> a group of people. Right. It's going to be your relationship with the world that gets shifted, thus creating a new result in the world, which right. actually does change. Well, that's what Gandhi was talking about. Be the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. If you go out and try to change the world so you'll be happy, never work. No. But if you're like, you know what? I'm going to be happy, love the way the world is anyway. Now there's one more happy person in the world, which is contagious, which is going to spread to other people and create more happiness. It's, it's fundamentally the way the world works, the way reality works, the way right. this and, fucking matrix works. Right. And like, that's why I said at the beginning of the conversation, I felt like by, li- by laying consciousness as reality at the foundation, I feel like where you can go in this conversation is where you've just arrived at, which is a profound power to author your experience in life. And, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation because I feel that it's, it would be so profound and so significant for every individual to, ha- to have an experience of that power to author, to, to construct and deconstruct the things that will forward you and empower you versus the things that are you know, victimizing you and destabilizing you and depressing you and you know, things like that. I feel that it's a tremendous power to have is that getting beyond the matrix. righty, And even the title, man, I feel like is a little misleading because it's not like get beyond it. I'm like, understand the fuck it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's not as intriguing. That's not as intriguing. Yeah. Everyone thinks they know what it is. So <laughs> here we are. We're, and really, I'm not. I'm not here to tell you what it is. I, I give you works. my yeah. I give you Let's my opinions and my assessments, and we philosophized about it. I am not ready to set out doctrine. <laughs> All of our worldviews and beliefs, narratives running in this show are subject to change, and not necessarily the views held by anyone. In fact, they're not held <laughs> by anybody right now. We have already let go of them. Okay. Alrighty. So. Great, great conversation, Gingy. Thank you. Word up. And thank you for those who joined us. Pop. And we'll see you next time. Phenosophy. Phenomenosophy. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Phenomenosophy. Later. Word up.